Hey, boomers, welcome once again to your fortnightly helping of Sonic the Comic, the podcast. We are your humes who look into the past and take you with us to 1994. I'm Dave Bulmer. And I am Chris McFeely, and today we are looking at a very special issue, aren't we, Dave? <laughs> it's a good one. <laughs> this is issue number 21, published mm. on March the 5th, 1994, cover dated March the 18th. The cover doesn't even begin to tell the story, but it does give you a little hint about what's coming inside. It does, and I like this cover. Yeah, it's uh, it's one of those covers that you see a lot of on comics these days, I find. I don't feel like you saw them so much in the old days where they've had to leave a mass of negative space to accommodate for the fact that this came with a free gift. Yeah, they've accounted for that in the design of the cover so that it doesn't really cover anything up. But that's quite clever, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's worked out quite well that way. The cover illustration... Uh, well, the text screams out, Gotcha! Amy means trouble, for this is the issue in which Amy Rose from Sonic CD Yay! joins the action. And the cover is Amy herself, clenched in the fist of an oversized trooper badnik, which has been coloured blue rather than red. It has, yeah. But I quite like that it has, because it offers a bit of visual contrast. Otherwise, yeah. everything would be red, wouldn't it, really? Because she's pink. Yeah. There's a Carl Flint. Carl Flint, who will evolve to become pretty much the regular cover artist for Sonic the Comic, I think. Yeah. Not the fixture. No, he didn't do them all, but, you know, I'm sure if you broke it down into a spreadsheet, he must have the, the massive share of them, definitely. And this is a good, I mean, this is a good audition for that. I know he's mm. been with us before. I've seen him before, one, but this is one of his best pieces, yeah. Yeah. It, the, the Amy is bang on. The Trooper is not, but it has this sort of backgroundiness to it that means that it kind of doesn't matter. It, it's, yeah, it's all fine. all about Amy. Yeah, it's, it's all about Amy. And she's mostly covered by the fist anyway. And her, her arms kind of mm. growing out of the side of her head and she's got one too many spikes on the but that's something doesn't matter it's a nice cover <laughs> now the spikes i actively like for some reason i know it's incorrect but i think i don't know it bridges the gap between the spikes down spikes up amy that doesn't kind of leads it though us into, yeah. yeah as we've talked about it before stc and probably some other publications too, but certainly in Possibly. our case, STC, misinterpreted the slightly wonky perspective of the first promotional piece of art of Amy, where she had her head turned. So her spikes, which Sega intended, and which in the game, just point downwards like they did, like Sonic's do. Yep. The perspective of that piece of art made it look like they sort of curled upwards in a sort of arcing, sort of like a crescent moon shape. And um, and that's how Amy would appear in Sonic the Comic forevermore, really, wasn't it? They didn't change her hair till Adventure came along. Yeah, and they had no reason no to. No reason to. Because, I mean, before Adventure came along, was she even in any more games? Oh, she was in Sonic R. Yeah, but that doesn't count. <laughs> but yes, this was a, a rare character. And the fact that she was from Sonic CD meant that her appearance on the cover here, while we're not getting yet an adaptation of Sonic CD, it really felt like we are yeah. now... Opening the doors to future Sonic stuff. It felt new. Yeah, because this is the first, like, new Sonic... Like, we've had, like, other Sonic games have been released. Spinball and Triple Trouble and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. yeah. But this is the first new, full-blown, honest-to-goodness, actual Sonic game that's come out since Sonic 2, since this comic started. This is our yep. first... I mean, what we are starting with this issue is... In the broadest sense, an eight-part adaptation of Sonic CD. Yeah. Incorporating a sort of prologue that introduces Amy, a weird pirate-themed digression in the middle. <gasps> oh, I forgot, I forgot, I forgot! Hooray! <laughs> <laughs> and then the last three parts are actually Sonic CD. 
There's nothing else on the cover except free this issue, the Super Sonic Spinner. Yes. It's just a small green frisbee with a picture of Sonic on it. Yeah. But I do love how, if we flip the page over, on the Control Zone. Control Zone. They give you, like, specific instructions for how to throw a frisbee. And th- those are quite fun. <laughs> but before that, Megadroid's welcome screen. Megad, he's doing that thing we called up last issue where they're trumpeting 21 like it's a an age that means <laughs> something in the UK. Yeah, it really doesn't. Does it? But wait, wait, wait. Uh, Let's maybe. think back. Did it back then? I don't remember it meaning anything. I don't. I don't remember having the sense of it meaning anything. It was all about 18 here, wasn't it? Yeah, Brits right in, but... uh, Old ones, particularly. But, yeah. Boomers. (laughs) Yeah, particularly. (laughs) 21 today, 21 today. Yes, the ever-youthful STC celebrates its 21st merely mega issue. Um, Okay, fair enough. (laughs) Besides promoting the Sonic Spinner, yeah, the Control Zone is all about um, what else you can spend your money on this month for. Coming in seven days is the Eternal Champion Special. I'm going to have to put in a full day at the editing cafe tomorrow, I think, to get ready for that. (laughs) (laughs) And in addition to the Eternal Champion special, he reminds us we can also go out and pick up a copy of Sonic the Poster Mag number three, which came out the week before this issue. Ah, Ah, yes. It was a busy March, February period. So that's 20 Poster Mag, 21 Eternal Champions, 22. Yeah, like like five consecutive weeks with Sonic STC goodness every week. Oh, I'm going to be really knuckling down with me, Edison. What a time to be alive. <laughs> and hopefully have enough money. 175 for the Eternal Champion special, but it was a 48-pager versus STC's 32. Whoever that kid was last uh, issue who was... Yeah, he wasn't getting no Eternal Champion special. No, it was well, he couldn't even afford STC, could he now? And when you bring it up, we really have to give a shout-out to Valero on Twitter, <laughs> who yes. has produced some animations to go along with our yes. uh, capering. Uh, we have our and- first two STCTP yes. animateds, and they are brilliant. Our little uh, Echo the Dolphin song from a few episodes ago and the wonders of a pound coin. <laughs> oh, I love the pound coin one in particular because that was uh, that was very uh, genuine. I think what we were what we were saying and doing at the yeah. time, and he really captured it very well. So yeah, look, look check out his Twitter. That's F A U L E R R O on Twitter, or we we retweeted them on the official Sonic Podcast account as well. Go and check those out because they're. Just wonderful. And that one is at Sonic Podcast. Yes, no one else had that yet. (laughs) Believe it or not, we got lucky. Uh, But he also reminds us that Tails is ending this issue and that, hooray, Wonder Boy is back next issue. (laughs) Hooray! Hooray! And that there'll be tattoos next issue. God, it's all cool, isn't it? I know, they don't. Blimey heck. Stop, they will not relent. And that just defined their 1994, you know, when we know what's coming, what's just like everything that's landing all at once right know what we're on the cusp of oh <laughs> that's right but they still have to come up with something to put in the middle column of each inside cover page control zone so this time it's spin attack or what your right brackets or left arm is really for uh, by the way that one uh, sparked a little maybe i should google it sense and uh, sure enough that was the uh, the slogan for courage beer what your right arm's for oh right okay there you go <laughs> Wouldn't have even known that back at the time. No, absolutely not. Yeah, and it's just instructions on how to throw a frisbee. Which, being the massive dweeb I was, <laughs> I tried to follow very closely in throwing <laughs> the frisbee. 
Because you know when you're a child, you just sort of huck a frisbee. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Anyway, yeah. And this is like, no, do it right. Like, it's a, lift your STC spinner with thumb and forefinger. Lovingly position close to your heart. Simultaneously swing out lower half of arm from elbow down, combined with firm flick of the wrist. Release spinner whilst reciting the words, If you love something, set it free. This is optional. <laughs> Stand back in amazement, taking care not to drool. It's done with such style and panache. Yeah, I, I and that, really appreciate STC that. Way. Would you yeah. like to hear a story about throwing the STC spinner inside the house? <laughs> <laughs> yes, please. This is the story of why I remember this free gift so well. Oh no! Uh, inside no, the it's house. actually no. It's a great story. Um, <laughs> nothing was broken except not, not the ornaments area of the no, house. <laughs> no, nothing was broken. Actually, it was in the front room. But anyway, uh, so I was just annoying my brother with it. I was just sure. I was think fast and at him, you know, just tossing yep, it at yep. him, and, and and he wasn't catching it at all because he was sitting watching the television, and I was throwing Should it, at him, you know, um, point blank range right onto his head. Oh no, from across the room. <laughs> so. He gets up to go out the door, and I uh, I think fast, and I fling it at him. And this time, he thinks fast enough to duck. Oh, nice. He whoop, pops down. It sails right over his head. <laughs> he pops back up and goes, ha! Turns around, and the frisbee, which has sailed over his head, has hit the door, ricocheted back, and beams him right in the forehead. <laughs> Oh, that's fantastic. It was a truly special oh. moment that I don't know I'll ever know that joy in my life again. <laughs> God, no, how could you possibly? <laughs> oh. oh, wow. That's when physics are really on your side. Yeah, because it wasn't like rocketing across the room. No, they, that's not what they do. It was flying quite directly, but... Gently. Gently, yes. And because if it had been flying too fast, it would have hit the door and just pff, clattered, you know. Absolutely. It was flying yeah. at just the right speed and just the right angle to just go dunk and come backwards. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> of everything about it. Oh, wish I could have seen that. I've been waiting to tell that story since issue one. shots. <laughs> <laughs> But what I have forgotten is whatever zombies is there at number six in the Sega charts. Oh. Toe Jam and Earl 2 has entered at number five on the Mega Drive, but just... I, is that that one, Zombies Ate My Neighbours? Oh, Remember I bet, yes, and they'll have just put zombies yeah. to shorten it down. That'll be it. That'll be exactly what it is, yeah. Oh, gosh. Oh, dear. On the Master System, Chess has entered the, the charts at number nine. Oh, dearie me. That Things does are, say about... Times are exciting over in Master System land, clearly. That's where the Master System was at at this point. <laughs> Never quite understood that. You can get a chess set for much less money than you can get a video game of chess. Yeah, but then you have to find somebody to play it with. Uh, I suppose. Yeah, I reckon you could get a little, even back then, a little electronic LCD Probably. opponent. Yeah, I, I had one at some point. I suppose I don't know how much it was. Well, we did love our LCD games at the time. Didn't we? Did you ever own the Sonic LCD game? Hell yeah, and it's in my box of treasures yeah! in the original packaging. Oh, you never opened it? Not, oh, no, not mint, but it's Sorry. in the packaging. I've, I've forced it back in against the packaging all crumpled up and everything what kind of packaging was it was it one of those plastic clamshells that's a demon to get open or yeah yeah it was a, a, a flat slab of plastic with just the molded shape of the game with a lethal blade edge cut around it where we've gone in oh, to get the yeah. thing out yeah yeah i must have just put that somewhere just discarded it and then found it later on and kept it in my let's get my that spot. out have a wee bash on that yeah make sure you didn't leave the batteries in it this was my whole concern with the sonic box i knew that those lcd games were in there and i thought i've not been in that box in 20 years 
am I going to find that the battery acid has, you know, I don't know what happens when you leave battery acid for 20 years. <clears throat> Does it carve a tunnel through your Sonic the Comic collection? What happens? But no, there were no batteries in there and everything was completely fine. Phew. Because yeah. I wouldn't like to think. I've left batteries and mm. things for a long time. Oh, yeah. Sonic. Girl Trouble Part 1 Written by Nigel Kitching With art by Richard Elson And letters by Ellie DeVille The dream team together again <laughs> Emerald Hill citizen Amy Rose Is such a big fan of Sonic's That she likes to claim she's his girlfriend But it's a claim that results in her Being arrested by Robotnik's forces Sonic and Johnny Lightfoot are unable to prevent her from being taken away to Robotnik's fortress in the Special Zone, and when they use a star post to give chase, they're captured by the fortress's defences. But Robotnik isn't there to greet them personally, because he has sealed himself inside a giant egg <laughs> and is in the process of regenerating into a new body. Billy Hatcher over here. Billy Hatcher, wow. <laughs> So, uh, now, very generously, Nigel Kitching has been in touch and provided us with the script to this uh, issue. Yes. So, we have insight into what he was seeking to do with this one. Not that it's not, in many ways, obvious from the strip itself, because this is the strip that crystallizes Sonic the Comic into its final form, or, yeah. or its ultimate form, let's say. In addition to introducing Amy, this... Uh, I mean, it, it, it it's all building on stuff that Kitching has seeded in mm -hmm. his earlier stories. We have the proper introduction of Robotnik's Fortress in the Special Zone, which was uh, hinted at back in issue four. Yeah. Um, we return to Sonic's underground headquarters, Kintobor's lab, seen in issue six, and the Kintobor computer assumes its final form, again glimpsed in that issue. Porker and Johnny continue their evolution into full-blown freedom fighters, now appearing with jackets and trousers, um, building on <laughs> Porker's trouserless appearance in issues 18 and 19, but he's got trousers this issue. Now with trousers. And uh, I nearly forgot the introduction of Grimer. Yes. One of STC's most notable original characters. Yep, who's going to be with us for, what, the rest of the series? Yep, the rest of the series. This is his his first appearance. This really is the start of a whole. This is this is it. This is where the STC mm -hmm. that we think of begins fully, yeah. fully begins. It's right here. Even back in the day when we read this issue, we knew we knew something. Yeah. Oh yeah. Special was happening. For me, even though issue six, for instance, had been my first issue, I had no memory of the Kintabor computer. Because even in that one panel that it appears in, the face is kind of squidged off to the side. Obviously, in this one, it's been redesigned to have the Richard Elson Kintabor face introduced yes. in issue number eight. Yes. We also have the idea of using uh, the star posts to travel to the special zone, lifted from the games previously seen in issue number eight as well. That's right. So it's all in here. And uh, also, this is uh, notable for being called Girl Trouble Part 1, not our first mm -hmm. Sonic Part 1, but the one that conclusively shows that we're going to be having them from now on. Yeah. One of the things that Nigel was telling us was that he always wanted to do multi-part stories, just because I guess that was part of the language of British comics, but he was always told, no, we're just doing one-offs, it's just always going to be one-offs, and... Um, he persevered. I asked, I asked, how did you actually do it? How did you get from, no, you're not allowed to do multi-part stories, to doing this many multi-part stories pretty much <laughs> forever? Because we, we've started with the two-parter we've just finished, and now we're into what is sort of a seven-parter. Like, there's a lot going on. And he said, look, what I did was I just kept saying, well, for this, this time, I need a multi-parter. 
but it won't be an all and it won't be an always type thing <laughs> but i need it this time and uh <laughs> and uh in that manner he got his way i mean i do remember experiencing some confusion as i was reading this like i knew i was i was reading a big change but because mm. the change was quite so sudden um, yeah. I was confused by it. Obviously, I had forgotten about even though I, I still had the issue in my possession and could have gone back to it at any time and had obviously read it many times. For some reason, the whole idea of the underground lab and the Kintabor computer, just, just uh, when I read them in this issue, I was like I was reading about them for the first time. Yeah. And like Grimer appearing out of nowhere. I mean, he gets his introduction. He doesn't, he's not just suddenly there all of a sudden. No, the introduction here is sufficient, isn't it? Yeah, oh yeah. I mean, one of the most interesting things, I think, as some people probably do know this already, this isn't something something we've just learned from the script Nigel sent us, this has been a bit of info that's been out there for yes. a long time, is that this was originally scripted to be Snively from the ABC Sonic cartoon. That's, that's right. how I'm going to refer to it from now on. You'll never hear the word <laughs> sat am cross my lips again. Um, <laughs> the, the word is because he thought he had to use it. We've already, we've talked previously about how uh, some of the changes we've seen creep into Sonic over the last couple of issues, the introduction of the Freedom Fighters, Johnny and Parker getting their clothes, are specifically based on on the ABC cartoon and the prototype artwork that has been shown for it in the poster mag back in issue 12. So they just thought that they had to have this parity with the cartoon so that they put Snively in it. And apparently, as Nigel has told it, once he realized he didn't have to use Snively... <laughs> Well, it's either that he realized he didn't have to use Snively, or he was told he couldn't use Snively. One of the two. I've right. read, I think I've read it both ways. Yeah. Took him out, replaced him with a brand new character named Grimer. You know, Snively was originally uh, written in the script as being Robotnik's right-hand man, and he's replaced here with um, the Doctor's chief scientist. And uh, Grimer is a kind of a green thing. He's an Igor, isn't he? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he is. <laughs> Um, he's just a green... I mean, I, I always thought he was kind of lizardy. Yes. And I'll tell you what, this is. This goes... Uh, we haven't talked about the voices we used to imagine in our heads and do for the <laughs> characters in a while. You know, we've had that talk about how we imagine Kintabor. But yeah. it was all down to this issue and this very heavy-lidded depiction of Grimer. Yeah. And in my brain, I made that connection with Looney Tunes and all those Peter Laurie caricatures that yes. Mel Blanc would voice. Absolutely. So I always imagined Master. that Grimer was Dr. Robotnik's chief scientist. Not yeah. so much these days anymore, but when I was a kid. Yes, is that egg you, Master? Can't believe I just said that. No, exactly. At 100%. Of course that, yeah, same exact voice. I mean, because, and back then I wouldn't have been able to tell you that's a Peter Laurie voice, but I knew, I'd heard people in cartoons, we've said before about yeah. how the cartoons we were watching at the time, like your Tiny Toons and Animaniacs, were obsessed with the golden age Hollywood. of Hollywood yeah. stuff. Yeah. And so that voice would always show up. Oh yeah, I had not a clue that he was Peter Laurie. No. I just recognised the heavy-lidded caricature from cartoons. I knew him from two places. I knew him from the voice that's given to sort of slimy assistance. I don't know why. I don't know if he was ever an Igor in something or not. But And secondly, I knew him from My Old Flame, the Spike Jones parody record, which I guess I just heard. My Old Flame. I can't even think of her name. I'll have to look through my collection of human heads. For me, it was... Do you remember the Bugs Bunny cartoon? I think it might have been the first one that had um, Gossamer, the hair monster, in it. Oh, yeah. But he played a mad scientist in it, and Bugs says to the audience, you know, Do you ever get the feeling you're being watched? 
and the thing pulls out and it shows this Peter Lorre character watching him on a monitor screen and he goes, <laughs> being watched, he says. I got some notes, Chris. I've written some notes go, go. down. Go, and, go, uh, go with your notes. Here's one. The first thing that we see as we establish that... Uh, I, I do, you know, I do quite like how Nigel, what he's done here with the first page is he's given us an example of, like, the fascist regime that he's writing half seriously, but also at the same time, the other half is, like, in a way that children can understand and it's appropriate for them. Yeah, because it's not some weird goofy thing. Like we say in the summary, yeah. Amy is arrested, but it's not, oh, if we capture Sonic's girlfriend, we'll capture Sonic. It's like, no, yep. she's yep. arrested for fraternizing with a known wanted criminal. That's, that's right. just we- why she's arrested. Which, to me, is, like, more real. That's, that's like, oh, yeah, you're, yes. you, you're yeah. associating. But the reason that she's associating with Sonic, that's the goofy side. She's just a cartoon character. You know, she's saying, like, Sonic's my boyfriend and so it's like right well then you get arrested by the regime in that case yeah. you've got the two sides you've got like what the, the the level that kids are usually addressed on and then this slightly more serious version of it but the way that it's uh, done is that um, the trooper badnik kicks her door in and says it's no use hiding citizen we know where you live and that little tingly sense the what your right arm is for <laughs> sense went off and I thought to myself does we know where you live come from anything in particular is there a war film or something is there an origin for that and i looked it up and do you know what i found Mm -hmm. genuinely found this very interesting i don't know if this is correct because the internet has a bias towards you know the sort of people who would fill in wikipedias and so on (laughs) yes but according to phrases.org.uk it says there that the phrase we know where you live has been quote current in the uk since the early 1990s So we're looking at some cutting-edge phraseology here, if they're right. The earliest example that they've found, and do write in if you know any earlier listeners, is a 1992 June issue of The Times, in which The Times' Belgrade correspondent was threatened with that phrase. Oh! So it may even have been a current events quote. Gosh! What do you think of that? There you go! And and just me, I just read that as our phrase, because it's just something fascists say. Yeah, I know. I don't know what possessed me to look it up, but hey, I'm glad I did because that's quite living history, eh? We should probably say, actually, as they drag her out the door, um, that this is this single panel is actually Amy's only appearance in this issue. No, it's not. I thought so, but there's another one. There's mm-hmm. another, a very, very little one. It's the second panel on page two. You can just see her tucked in. Oh, come on. And yeah, all right, all right. It's the only line of dialogue Amy speaks in there. All right, you happy? <laughs> <laughs> but it is, very, it is very noteworthy because this whole issue, it was teased as Girl Trouble. It's called Girl Amy's Trouble. Amy's on the cover. Amy's on the cover. And yet, there is only this one, really, drawing of Amy. And what, frankly, what Richard's done is he's just copied that artwork that they've been given. Yeah, yeah, with the turned head and everything pose. Yeah, it's not just a copy because he's a very good cartoonist, so he couldn't help but put his own spin on it a bit. But it's very similar to that. That drawing and that's kind of what we get she'll have more to do next issue we'll, we'll get a better look at her personality but but stc had its own unique approach to to amy's personality but what it means that is in this introduction she really is kind of an anonymous person who lives in the emerald hill zone and is claiming things and we'll find out about her personality moving forward and i think that's a fascinating way of going about it yeah because yeah. per the um instruction manual didn't she track sonic down because tarot cards had told her they were dead 
destined to be together. Isn't that the uh, the Japanese story for Amy? I think that's the Japanese story. Yeah, I think Archie even put it in there. Oh. But then the uh, the American manual for Sonic CD actually replaces Amy with uh, Sally Acorn. Oh God, that's right. Yeah, it just calls her Sally Acorn, doesn't it? Or Princess Sally, I think. Oh my word! Which is is actually worse somehow. Yeah. And I can't remember what we ended up with here. Uh, you know, I genuinely don't know. Yeah. I do have a copy of Sonic CD in the other room, but I don't think it's got its instruction booklet in it, I'm afraid. Don't know. Weirdly, the UK manual just calls her the young lady hedgehog who was running hot on Sonic's heels and then just has him have a conversation with her and it doesn't explain why they know each other or where she's come from or anything. What I love is that on page one, panel one, Johnny Lightfoot is not just merely not in disguise. He's almost drawn in the older style. He looks... Yeah, I noticed that too. He looks so cute, like just one of the background rabbits. And then you turn the page and the first panel, he is full on Johnny Lightfoot, freedom fighter. That we know. With his little angry face and his jacket and his stick and all of it. Uh, Again, because Nigel notes in the script that... He genuinely wanted to give Johnny a bit of attitude to make him look mm. a bit less cute. Yeah. So that goes hand in hand with giving Porker trousers. Yeah. <laughs> so many things do. Obviously, they didn't think shades were necessary to go the full way to give him all the... You keep saying attitude. What do you mean exactly? Um, <laughs> but... Uh, I, st- I like those shades. Crisp's mascot, as you compared him to. Mm. still like them. I'm glad, I'm glad they didn't do them. I love that design, and I, I wish I could have. I wish I could see. So show me some fan comics, fans. Yeah, I want to look at that alternate universe where that was yeah. the cartoon. Perhaps we can talk the STC online. Pe- hey, they've probably already done it. Oh, I don't know. I don't. I don't think they have. But that that is an idea, isn't it? Like yeah. for some kind of Crisis on Infinite Sonics type thing. <laughs> Infinite Mobius is yeah, yeah. Which feels more and more like a, a prospect these days. Yeah. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Whenever you have games doing crossovers and stuff, you know, people have joked about it for a long time. Sadly, it's one of those things where I think that if they if we let Americans do it, our Sonic wouldn't get the look in. Oh yeah, it would have to be a collaboration. Yeah, you need. Um, yeah. Yeah, you need to rope in the people. A couple of people from our Archie. We get John Gray to draw the Archie bit, maybe. Get Dave Mannock back. I love the little spin, right? I love the little spin that Rich gives Sonic in the air. Bottom left panel of page two. Yeah. He's bopped a trooper badnik. He's still curled up from his spin, but he's twisted round in the air to face the next place, and it really gives a little kinetic bounce to the movement that you can see traced out in his whoosh line. It's uh, Yeah, it looks like he's bounced off one or two there. It does, yeah. And there's Johnny swinging his... But Johnny's swinging his stick too, so I'm not sure if he's bopping one of them as well. Oh, so he is. Oh, yeah, because this... Uh, we, we, did, we did mention, but yeah, Johnny yes. has now got his, uh, his pugil stick. Yeah. His big, fat, dumb... <laughs> stick um <laughs> that we talked about in issue 19 which will be his signature weapon for the series yeah <laughs> i think we might have spoiled his signature weapon chris <laughs> if that's the only way we can think about it from this point onwards yep johnny whaps out his big dumb <laughs> and smacks a robot <laughs> oh dear <laughs> i'm gonna have to start censoring this even though it's not swear words i know the troopers use Weapon X, which is, uh, it just shoots a load of spikes out into the crowd, so Sonic has to run around and... Yeah, it looks like a, a sort of harpoon launcher gun, and it's got some kind of, like, a stick with a, uh, what do you, what's, what's the real word for a bomb knocker? A mace? A mace. 
Yeah, a spiked mace sticking out of it. And you think what it's going to do is it's going to aim and fire this mace-tipped spear at someone. And no, instead, the, the, the mace just blows up and all the spikes go everywhere. Which means Sonic has to run around catching the spikes before they impale the Emerald Hill Folk, which is what gives the troopers the chance to escape. And specifically, before it impales a little boy called Cedric, which we have this script, as we said, for this issue. Yeah! And what an odd, interesting... So, uh, Nigel says that he reckons... I suppose we can't prove anything, but he's pretty sure mm. that the script that he's given us is his final draft. So anything that's changed since that version is editorial. That that was, but done that a, would mean editorial created Grimer, and that doesn't feel right. Well, it could be that that was done during a discussion, yes. But uh, what we do seem to find is that this child in the script was called Jimmy. And on the page is called Cedric. And this kid appears for two panels, purely to be rescued from a spike, and is never seen again, and doesn't matter. So why would you change the name at all? I don't know, I like Cedric more. Cedric, I don't... It's a very beano-y sort of name. (laughs) It's a very British kid sort of name. Like, Little Jimmy is about the most generic sort of name you can give to a tiny child in peril, you know? Cedric sounds like something out of a British comic, you know? Exactly, and we we have... Plenty of Jimmys and Jameses here in the UK, but doesn't Little Jimmy sound a bit American? I mean, that's, yeah. And the odd thing, the very odd thing is that in the script, he shouts, Mom. And in the comic, he shouts, Mum. Oh, they they full, I missed that bit, they full-blown anglicised. Yeah, but the most notable change on page two is the way the scene ends. Yeah, I thought that. Because in the script... Give us the dialogue from that final panel. The panel ends with the badniks warp out and Sonic says, Amy got herself into this, but she's going to expect us to get her out. And in the script, uh, Sonic says, What a drag! But in the finished comic, he goes, Women! Yeah. This is kind of surprising Deborah Tate would have let that one slip by, to be honest. Yeah, well, yeah. Perhaps that wasn't one of hers, but yes, exactly. Like, in my mind, I don't tend to think of STC Sonic as a sexist. No. He's a d- a lot of the time, sure, but I don't think of him as a sexist specifically. He's definitely not fond of Amy, but that's because of her personality, not because she's a not because she's a girl. <laughs> well, and to expand on that, the script doesn't call the issue girl trouble either. It calls it Sonic's girlfriend. Yeah, Sonic's girlfriend. So, so yeah, the finalized edition of this, um, teeny bit sexist. I I wonder if what they were doing here was trying their hardest to sort of bridge the gap between a. a perhaps perceived mostly boys' readership, and the fact that we're introducing a prominent female character now. Yeah, by, by sort of putting words in the mouth of the character to go, yeah, girls, it, right? Yeah. Cooties and such. Exactly, but that was not part of the original intent of the script, and uh, no. I think Nigel's less than overjoyed <laughs> that it was made to look like it was his idea. I can definitely believe that was editorial, because didn't Megadroid make some sort of a quip about yes. women in the office yes. a couple of issues ago? Right. And that's obviously Burton yeah. putting words in there, so... Well, well, update your proclivities, Richard Burton, 1994. <laughs> update your proclivities. <laughs> Page four is when we meet... Now, this one was weird then, and it's weird <laughs> now, and it's still weird even though I've read the script. Yes. We see Robotnik's special zone fortress for the first time, and he's in the middle of a meeting with his um, image consultants. Yeah, or at least two guys who reckon they're his image consultants. He doesn't seem to have hired them himself. <laughs> um, the uh, So just a, a moment on the on the little base, because I think it's beautiful. And oh, it's lovely sort, panel. It's sort of a version of what we were previously given as the Death Egg, isn't it? Mm. 
Well, it's a big egg, yeah. A big egg. It's a big egg. It's an egg-shaped station. It's got a big circular window in it. I feel as if what was being drawn here was a better version of the of what we were previously told was the death egg. Yeah, in issue six. When yeah. we are about to be shown that that's not what the death egg looks like in uh, in Sonic Three, and, <laughs> yeah. and I think if you were if you knew the sound test cheat for Sonic Two, I think you got to see a little picture of it. <laughs> yeah, there. I think so, so. Maybe yeah. they saw that. I, d- I don't quite know why, but for some reason, this thing here. Either it isn't as much like the old Death Egg design as I think, or they just decided to make it a station now. But it's got all these little orbiting eggs, which I... It's just gorgeous. I think it's brilliant. Oh, it's a lovely design. Uh, it was a real shame whenever we left this behind. Exactly. And it's got the it's got one of the arrows with the, the yellow and black hazard stripes, which is yeah. straight off the Egomatic. So it's kind of an Egomatic space station in space. It, it's brilliant. Love it. And then, yeah, then we're in... in Dr. Robotnik's little office. He's got a desk lamp in the shape of an egg. He's got some kind of portholes in the shape of eggs behind him. I love it. It's all really (laughs) egg-shaped. And, uh, yeah, so these guys are Thomas and Miller, whose names don't read as references to This is This, Chris, is why we have the script, because I popped straight onto Speedlines, and I wrote wrote little Nigel Glitching a letter asking... Was that a reference to something? Because it's just so... The way that you've got these two random guys... Yeah, and they go out of their way to name each other. Yeah, Mr. Thomas and I kind of planned a complete makeover for you, Dr. R, and the other one says, Miller's right. And you're like, oh, okay, those are the names. So I asked Nigel, and he couldn't remember, so he looked up the script, and lo and behold, they haven't got names in the script. Yeah, they don't. They're just first man and second man. And let me stipulate, because we haven't said it, they are men. Yeah. They are people. Human men. Which is weird. And it does stipulate in the script, which was interesting to me, that they're drawn in a wacky cartoon style, which they are, but that's really anomalous. <laughs> Or is it? I mean, we've had Marxio brothers now who are human. Yeah, but they specifically came from somewhere else. <laughs> That's true, yeah. They were okay because they specifically came from Super Marxio world, which is a terrible place you don't <laughs> want to go, apparently. I'm willing but... to go on record and say that I think these two men are from Marxio world, especially the one on the left. Look at him. Uh, with his dungarees. <laughs> They're both weather suspenders, but... <laughs> yeah, it, something about his hair and his comb over, it just, it looks, well, I mean, it, what it really is, is that, you know, Richard's drawn it a couple of weeks after he drew them, but they they look very Marxio to me. Yeah, well, he's drawn a couple of ad men. Yeah. I mean, I think I think whenever Richard Elson draws a cartoonman, this is what they look like. They look like the Marxio brothers uh, <laughs> that look like these guys. I don't know if Nigel would ever put a people in his comics again. You would see it creep in uh, once or twice, like here and there. Mm. I remember... One that jumped out as anomalous to me way off in the future, because I'd obviously forgotten about these guys uh-huh. by that point, was Lou Stringer did a story called... Ooh, I don't remember what the story was called, but the baddie in it was called The Chiller. And he was just a people. That was weird. Mm -hmm. And I remember there was a short story about Dr. Robotnik in one of the summer specials where there was a scientist and he was just a a man. And it was weird. And I didn't <laughs> like it then, and I don't like it now. Mobius is for animals so, only. Uh, I mean, even Sonic didn't really recognize what humans were when he became a human in, uh, in issue 17. true. Although, from your rant a moment ago, we seem to be facing a, a mounting pile of evidence that there's going to be plenty of humans in the comic for you to be annoyed by. So maybe there are just humans on Mobius. I, I've got two. Two isn't a mounting pile, <laughs> and I'm pretty sure they both happen in this year. Oh, right. So it just feels like it was further away because two weeks took a lot longer when you were 11 they did they did 
and when you weren't struggling to edit all of these specials at the same time. <laughs> uh, I, I was surprised that Stay Sonic wasn't the one that it did because it was it was it turned out it was fourth dimension that explicitly identified Mobius as a world of anthropomorphs, mm-hmm, which is yes. where I learned that word and explained that Kintabor had come to the planet on a like a, a one man science expedition. Mm. And that is the true lore. <laughs> Very specifically that one British prose novel. Yeah, <laughs> Not that, even that's the comic the real Sonic. That's the true lore. Yeah. <laughs> This is our first look at a character that we will see again. <laughs> she will look different when we see her again. She's not identified here. But she's the receptionic. <laughs> oh, I don't remember seeing her again. Oh, I look forward to it. The, oh, yeah, she'd pop up later. After, like, in years to come, Robotnik will move his headquarters to the Metropolis, Metropolis zone, zone. And I think we'll we'll see more of her there. Oh. But this is our first sort of look at the idea of a, of just a receptionist robot. And that's what um, she is. She's just drawn as yeah. a, a, a sort of a secretary, looking fairly like a human, but made out of silver. Yeah. Got a typewriter, got a cup of coffee. Yeah. Um, the script, again, calls for her to be a cartoon person. It but, does. But, uh, but it's a robot here. And she's even, a robot she's here. even got a robot cup of coffee. The coffee is yeah. the same silver that the rest of her is, implying that that's actually grafted as part of her body. I quite like that idea. Ooh, I can't swear to it, but I do feel like she would be a bit more of a little old lady type oh, perception right. when we would see her again. But I feel like she was either bolted to the desk or had a wheel for legs or something like that. <laughs> uh, this is not a reference you'll get, Dave, huh? but, but a sort of uh, fantastic for Roberta the Robot Receptionist uh-huh. type character. No, it's not I might be wrong, I though. I might be wrong. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll find out when we see. I don't remember the receptionist having legs. No, well... Isn't that a weird thing to remember? I'm, well, <laughs> but, but the best way to draw a robot, as we all remember from childhood, is simply to have a stick and a single unicycle wheel, because you don't have to bother then. <laughs> <laughs> and obviously she's a receptionist, so she never has any cause to leave her desk. No, she's probably part of the desk. She probably yeah, well, probably yeah. a hatch opens in the desk and she comes out on a robot stick. Um, but the main thing that happens in this page is that Robotnik's so annoyed by Thomas and Miller that he throws his egg-shaped lamp and his uh, desk phone at them. Uh, he must have specially disconnected that in order to throw it. Either that or it was never plugged in because he doesn't like to take any calls. Touchstone <laughs> phone, you see, too. Yeah. They weren't exactly a million miles behind in technology. I was still using a rotary phone yes, at the time. Yes, same. But we got we came to hours late, though. I, I think mid-90s we got our first touchstone and answer phone. It was a very exciting day. Yeah. <laughs> I think that was probably around the time we finally double-glazed the windows as well. <laughs> um, and uh, don't get excited, boomers. I've been living with single glazing since I became an adult. It's freezing in here. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, so Robotnik throws them out of his office. But he puts his little hands together and he says to himself, I love his fat little hands. I love his little hands. And his head is positioned in my favourite position for his head, which is a little way down his body because he's hunched. So that the curve of his back comes up over and the silhouette of him actually looks like an egg. The full Patrick Moore hunch that he's got on. God, isn't it a shame that Richard Elson didn't get to draw this robot fully and properly more often. Such a shame. And this is the last time we will see him. The second to last drawing of him listening to them is... The perfect little Robotnik there with his fists on the desk, growling. And the next one, he's got his eyes half closed in contemplation and he's saying to himself, But those buffoons were right in a way. This body has served its purpose. It's time for a change. And something egg-shaped is crackling into life around him as a sort of lightning force shield. And that is the last we will ever see of him because... Then as Grimer enters the room, he just sees a big egg sitting in Robotnik's chair. A big egg. I do love the receptionist one line here. Um, 
It's very, it's a bit, it, I don't know. She gives off powerful Janine Melnitz energy. Oh, yes. I wouldn't go in there if I were you, Grimer. The boss is in a really ugly mood today. <laughs> I'm sure it will be all right, my dear. <laughs> I don't like that voice for Grimer in my head anymore. Don't you? But it's, it, but child-wise is all I remember. Well, it's, I, I completely agree about the voice. I did think of it as that, as that voice back then. But immediately when he says, I really can't believe I just said that, the bubble bursts and it can't yeah. quite work anymore. But I don't have an alternative work. voice. No, I never really formulated one, no. Perhaps we will discover it as we go. <laughs> so tell me this and tell me no more, Dave. All right. When this happened mm. back in the day, what did you think was coming out of that egg? I know. I couldn't imagine. I So I think... I. I can't remember for absolutely definite, but I do think that part of me wondered if we were about to get one of the Robotnik designs we'd just been introduced to. I feel like I thought the same. Yeah, but I just I couldn't begin. I was so excited. I wanted to know what it was. Because it, this, what we've got here is a regeneration scene. Yeah, that's what it is. And this, It's Doctor Who full-blown. Well, yeah, the regeneration something that I knew in in theory, from Doctor Who, and I had lived through and watched a regeneration, but to me, regeneration, actually, the my first, I'm sure all of the kids who were, like, watching Doctor Who in its heyday have, in their, in their mind, their regeneration moment where they first saw it happen and realised what it was sure. and the excitement of that, and I'm sure that, you know, the kids who watched in, in New Who onwards have theirs. To mine wasn't Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. Mine was Mike and Angelo. <laughs> <laughs> Mine was too, probably, to be honest. Yeah, because I, I uh, were the age that we are, so, you know, our Doctor Who was essentially the last one. It was Sylvester right. McCoy, really. Yeah. Um, and we never got to see him regenerate, except in the movie, which obviously only came out a few yeah. years after this comedy. Yeah, but uh, there had been this odd, initially drama comedy series on uh, Children's ITV called Mike and Angelo about a, a boy with, you know, problems at home, a single parent a new house no friends and he meets this strange man who's odd and childlike and a bit of a mork and the you know you're sort of initially led to think is he an angel but he turns out to be an alien and at, at the end of his i think it was second series um yeah. the guy who played him whose name i think was uh, tyler butterworth tyler butter something he gets very very ill and he lies on the couch and at the end of the episode he dies Angelo dies, and then he floats up into the air, spins round, and comes back to life as Tim Whitnell, who would play him for the rest of the series, which was, I think it was ITV's longest ever running sitcom. Yeah. And uh, and it became, you know, really stupid and crap very quickly, but not because of him, <laughs> he, he was fine. But uh, So that was, that was my first regeneration, and here it was happening uh, again, probably, I don't know, a year or two later, in the pages of STC. So I, what could have come out a whole new doctor robotnik mm-hmm. <laughs> we won't tell you what it was we won't we'll find out next it issue it's funny though isn't it yeah because like re- just the sh- the simple concept of of regeneration even the word regeneration mm-hmm. like in the uh, on the cultural landscape of our country yeah. is so baked in mm-hmm. like we know that word from doctor who um, and the concept is so understood as a result of Doctor Who that when we saw this, we we wouldn't have questioned it. I'm sure I haven't really seen it, but you know, I, I don't imagine I would have to Google too hard to find Americans uh, <laughs> reacting to this 
as if it's another one of those, oh, that weird, stupid, crazy, wacky <laughs> British comic and all the ridiculous, crazy shit it did. Whereas to us, this was like, hey, yeah, okay, cool. Yeah. We understood what we were seeing as part of our cultural landscape. And look at what we've got. Just in this one issue, we have Robotnik go into an egg in order to regenerate. And also, we have Johnny Lightfoot go from his cute design to the later design. The, there, there is continuity here, which felt yeah, like big transformative such an, steps. An, an, and it was an important lifeline to have that continuity because what they could have done is simply changed the designs for no reason. But instead, we've had these gradual steps, and it feels like an ongoing story. And that's why, even though you know, I'm sure some listeners, and particularly perhaps some artist listeners, will be calling us for hypocrites because we're constantly going on in this series, this podcast, about how our STC is this thing with freedom fighters and a base and a holographic projection Dr. Kinterbor. And even now on a stand-in Snively. Yeah, and yet at the same time we go on about how it's the continuity from the games. But it's that... But no, we've, we have addressed this yeah. before. It's because these were elements that were slowly integrated yeah. into a world based on the games. It didn't start completely reinvented. Yeah, it and arose it's that gradually. difference that defines it. Yeah. And that's how, at the time, we just frankly didn't see... Uh, I don't know about you. I didn't see a change in continuity. I saw the normal progression that you would expect of a quality piece of children's entertainment, the ones that actually progress. And when I played the games... I saw no reason to imagine that there wasn't a Kinterball computer lurking somewhere in the background. Yeah, I mean, you lived in hope some of that stuff could turn up, you know, oh, but obviously. That would have been great, wouldn't it? <laughs> I mean, as I say, I, I knew when I read this issue I was seeing something big and, and different. You know, I was surprised by some of the changes mm. that were happening in it. And I was like, and I did feel like, oh, where's this come from? What's mm. this about? You know, but it's, be it, I, I mean, these memories are so clear and it is because, obviously, I had somehow managed to completely forget about the underground base and the Kinterball computer having had the groundwork laid for them already. Yes, and I, I ought to at least admit that Kinterbor is an example of the thing I said before. His design did suddenly change, but luckily yeah. they did it at just the right moment to introduce him properly as a character. So, hey, let's just say that previous Kinterbor computer was glitching that day. <laughs> yeah. Interesting when we do hit the base that there's no big... Kinterbor, the man I knew before I turned blue and who has now turned into Dr. Robotnik. It's just, you're right, Kinterbor? Yeah, there's no big reintroduction of the computer. Like, it never spoke before. I mean, the, right. the way it was introduced back in issue six was it's just a hologram that makes the computer easier to use. Yeah. But here it's presented as a full-blown AI. Yeah. You know, and given STC's brilliant love of footnotes, it is weird that there is not one. Yeah, you know, I know, it's yeah. like, Kin Dr. Kinterbor is the man the Robotnik used to be. But obviously it's because, to be honest, like a footnote would probably be actually only raised more questions wouldn't it <laughs> <laughs> and if you've never seen it listeners hmm. what we are talking about here is a bank of machinery of the sort that we used to call computer in the 90s above which is a zordon style cylinder of light in which is the head of Dr. Kinterbor, last seen in issue number eight, and he's just chatting away, and he's just their friend who is in the office. It's a, it's a computer AI, yeah, that, that monitors transmissions and uh, and runs the base and everything, yeah. But interestingly, in the script, he's not called Kinterbor, they just refer to him as Computer. Sonic says, that's just no. what I figured, Computer. 
but uh, that's been changed to Kinterbor. But it, yeah, but it is described in the script as being. Oh yeah, oh yeah, the, yeah, yeah. The Kinterbor computer. Yeah, it, it is described as being all these. It things. is specified that it's his head that should be there, but uh, they they call it computer. And at some point, be that editorial or another suggestion from Nigel, they've started calling him Kinterbor, and he's a character from then on, a full on character. Yeah, well, that's the very important thing is that he is not just a beep boop computer. He mm-hmm. is he is a character. Uh, might as well say it. Like we'll find out in a bunch of issues times that he's specifically based on Dr. Kintabor's brain engrams which were encoded onto one of the Mobius into a gold ring <laughs> in the explosion that turned him into Robotnik. Somehow, don't worry about it, yeah, <laughs> it doesn't matter. I was so happy for this though, yeah. because you remember I talked about back when we talked about the origin, how perturbed I was by the idea that Dr. Kintabor could just yes. cease existing exactly. like that. Yes. So the idea that he could be brought back in yeah. some capacity and coexist with Robotnik, God, it's you. Think, it's the thought has literally never occurred to me before right now. But isn't it amazing and a tragic missed opportunity that STC never did some kind of Robotnik versus the Kintabor computer oh, thing? Oh yeah, like a battle of minds. Yeah, something like that in the digital scape or in some yeah. way. Or, or like Robotnik manages to capture the Freedom Fighters and the Kintabor computer has to be the one to save them somehow. Yeah. Yeah. It, Wow, wouldn't that have been tremendous? (laughs) That would have pushed all my buttons. But, well, that plus, I was always kind of into, like, vaguely sassy AI characters. (laughs) Do you remember Mal from Captain Planet? Vaguely, very vague. Uh, He was Dr. Blight's computer, and he was the same. He was a bespectacled, weedy scientist guy, face on a computer screen, and he was voiced by Tim Kerr. Oh, well, there you are. Uh, something interesting on uh, the second to last page is that at the bottom there, Sonic does a version of the buzzsaw attack. He seems to spin his legs in a particularly spiky way, and uh, he uses it to get through the door in a particularly spiky-looking speed line. Not a great visual, that one. <laughs> I mean, it's no problem at all to imagine Sonic can do the old buzzsaw spin and cut through something, but it's just the fact that Richard's drawn it as the spinning spiky blue wheel, but with Sonic's head, head and, and arms coming out and, of it. And, and arms coming out He looks off like he's top, comfortably yeah. tucked into it, doesn't he? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I always, you know, I, I must admit, I always rather like the buzzsaw attack from Adventures where he, oh, yeah, he just I'm turns cool into it. a big spinning buzzsaw in the air. It was First off, it was easy to draw. It was devastatingly effective as a tool. So if you were doodling more story-driven Sonic comics when you should have been doing your maths, <clears> there was a lot you could get done with that buzzsaw. No steel bulkhead too thick for it, as proven here. Nigel was always finding fun things to do with Sonic Speed. A couple of noteworthy things on the final page. And one of them is... Eyelid Watch! I missed it. There it is. There it is. I didn't even notice it. Why can't I pay more attention to these things? Yes, pink eyelids. Pink eyelids. Touchdown. Could this be another incredible transformative step for issue 21? The cementing of the pink eyelids. We thought we'd arrived at the final version of STC, and there they are. That's that's the last thing we needed to know. Yeah, Sonic and Johnny get sealed in this big transparent pink bubble. And that's why he's screwing his eyes shut. That's why we can see his eyelids. Mm. But that is the second to last cliffhanger. It's a sort of half cliffhanger. He's stuck in the pink ball thing. Grime has got him. The troopers have got him. But that cliffhanger isn't where we end. We end on a slow zoom in on the egg that is Robotnik (laughs) hatching. Oh, so exciting. Next, the new Robotnik. It's so exciting. And I mean, I spent two weeks wondering. And, the, and to be fair to them, they didn't put it on the cover. Like, the oh. cover of the next issue is the egg still hatching. But 
the fists were breaking through The fists through it. coming so out. You could tell what it was. Yeah, but we knew from the fists. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, the fists came through. <laughs> we, could, we could tell what they were. And that's Sonic. That is the first yeah. episode of Ooh. the real, the true, the final Sonic The real, Sonic true, the proper, final, the ultimate form. Yes, we're away, listeners. If you, if you have any friends who aren't joining us just yet, get them on board now because this is where the story starts. I, there's no stressing it. We say, we say this is the beginning of the final form. We joke about that and everything. Yeah. But it is from here onwards that the stories begin. Yeah. I mean, what we have essentially begun with this story is a run of, let's say, 40 or 50 issues. Fifth, let's say 50, a run of 50 issues, two years, that represent the best of the best, the mm-hmm. golden age of Sonic the comic. This is essentially the beginning of a series of long-running, interlinking stories by Richard Elson and Nigel Kitching, um, with con- contributions in between from, from Lou Stringer, that adapt all of the 16-bit era new Sonic the Hedgehog games. And they represent the era of Sonic the comic that everybody remembers. Even when it's a casual reader who would have dropped off reading it years later and maybe hasn't given a thought to it in the decades since, those are the stories that they remember. Yeah, this is the beginning of there's the golden age. This is the mm-hmm. only way to describe it. This is where it begins. We will only go up from here. I mean, if you're generous, you might stretch it out to maybe issue a hundred. I do, but right now, this is where it all starts, and I'm <laughs> hopping up and down in my seat <laughs> for more. I'm so glad that we're about to do this. <laughs> but first, we have to get through the refusal. What have we got in the review zone this week? Oh, you know, now speaking of changes, though, uh-huh. review zone's only two pages this issue, and I think this is the point henceforth and for on where mm. um, is for on a word? Uh, I don't think so, <laughs> uh, but I like it, no, so move on. I'll leave it in there. That the review zone will only be two pages. It drops from three to two. A minor change, but just another change to the structure of STC that came in with this issue. Uh, so, what have we got? Reviewed this issue, International Rugby for Mega Drive and Micro Machines for the Master System and Game Gear, both by Dave Gibbon, and General Chaos for the Mega Drive by Steve May. Yes, the reviews are by those people, not the games. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, International Rugby, I looked it up, looks incredibly boring. It's just a lot of noodling about. <laughs> not interested. I take issue with this opening paragraph. If you're aware of the All Blacks or Will Carling, I was. You'll probably be a fan of that egg-shaped ball game called rugby. I was not. <laughs> I've uh, at various times in my life I've toyed with saying out loud that I was more into rugby than football, just as a way of you know thumbing my nose at football. But no, no. I was no no more into rugby than football in any regard. No, see, rugby. Unfortunately, I had to play rugby as part of oh, PE. Dear. Oh, yes. So if I didn't hit it already. Yes, quite. What an abusive thing to make children do. <laughs> I'm from a rugby family. Ah, right. What's a rugby family? My dad played it and my brothers played it. Oh, really? Oh, right. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> Micro Machines, I got excited because I thought it was the Mega Drive version, and then I remember they'd reviewed it already. <laughs> yep, that's all done and dusted, so this is it being released now for the 8-bit. Mind you, yeah, doesn't this Game Gear gimmick sound interesting? Where two players can play on a single Game Gear. One person holds one side with the D-pad and the other holds the side with the regular buttons. Love that sort of thing. I do That's like that bonkers. sort of thing. It does say that the game accelerates 
the car for you because you only have one set. Oh, only have that's direct- why it said that. I was yeah. trying to figure out. I thought that meant across the whole game. I was no. like, why? You is- only have directional controls, so yeah. the car goes on its own. That was a weird decision to make because there's plenty enough buttons on the Game Gear to do it. But uh, yeah, now I get it. I like that though. This is going to sound like a weird comparison, but it's kind of like a prototypical version of the sort of stuff like. Metal Gear Solid would do, like, you know, with Psycho Mantis reading your memory yeah. card and making you use the control panel in the other. The incorporation of the console yeah. has a physical object in the experience of playing the game. Like, I like that. I like that idea. What it reminded me of was my introduction to Pac-Man came quite late. It came when I was at least uh, ten, 10 years old, something like that. Um, around this time, a couple of years before. And uh, and it was when my friend, my best friend at school, brought in a big LCD Pac-Man game, which was quite a bit, quite a box affair. And uh, that had a set of controls at each end so that one of you could be the ghosts. Oh, oh yeah, I got it. Okay, yeah. I don't know whether we call this a sign, but uh, when I met Abby, it emerged that she was the second and so far last person that I've met who also owned that LCD Pac-Man. So that was it. That sealed the deal. Oh, I I just was imagining there um, you on one side of it and her on the other side of it and you both looking up and your eyes meeting for the first time. <laughs> like, like, who's this second player? Why do <laughs> birds suddenly appear? Wonga, 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 wonga. <laughs> and then we have General Chaos, which has already been mentioned in this podcast. Has it? Yeah, that's the one where I said that I went and looked it up on YouTube and still couldn't figure out how to play the game, even by watching it. Oh <laughs> Yeah, the, the review doesn't do much to help. No, I have. Uh, it seems like it's a sort. The, the only way that they try and explain what it is is with reference to other games that I don't necessarily know what they are. But it's you've got a load of guys, like cartoony army guys. You're on a screen with a load of other cartoony army guys. You've got some sort of a, a, a menu at the top with different kinds of you know grenade launchers and things. And you, I think you're pointing and clicking to issue commands yeah, to your guys. Yeah, sounds a bit like a strategy war game type thing, where you're yeah. giving your your individual guys different commands. There is a cursor. I can tell you that much. A Mega Drive? On a Ugh. Mega Drive, yeah. Never a good idea. No, not with a D-pad. I like uh, Steve May's opening line. War is sport in this crazy cart from the diseased minds of Jeff Nauman and Brian Collin, the authors of such video game classics as Rampage and Xenophobe. And I'm like, hey, that's good information to give somebody in a video game review. It doesn't just be like this international rugby review that pulls a Takushi. So General Chaos, it's a weird game and I can't tell you much about it. It's a weird little review zone, isn't it? <laughs> it is, yeah. Just a Batman Adventures magazine. Yes, we had the previous issue advertised last time. This time it's, uh, can it be true? Has TV's top hero fallen in love? <gasps> Who's that he's smooching, Chris? You've just watched this cartoon. I'm assuming it's Talia al Ghul, Rish al Ghul's daughter. Oh. love interests from the show. Yes, of course. And they're doing it while in a big fire. Oh, so that's cool. yeah. Plus free stickers. Yes, and they're being kind enough to actually show us what the free stickers will look mm. like instead of leaving it a mystery like Roy the Rovers did. <laughs> This is another half page ad, because below it is a, an advert for Bugs Bunny. Monthly. 
Not just Bugs Bunny himself, but a particular publication about Bugs Bunny. Yeah, I was going to say Bugs Bunny magazine, but it's just called Bugs Bunny, uh, which lets you get a Daffy Duck badge. So I presume that they chose to advertise these two comics together because you get um, free gifts with them, which is what um. makes them worthy of advertising. <laughs> And they're both only 95p. Do you notice that? Yeah. If I recall the one issue of Batman Adventures that I bought, it used matte paper stock uh, instead of the glossy stuff that STC uses. So that would be why it managed to be cheaper. Well, patooey. (laughs) Never forget, STC was deluxe. Yeah. Eternal Champions? Eternal Champions. Eternal Champions. Eternal Eternal Champions. Part 3, written by Michael Cook, art by Brian Williamson, inks by Bambos Giorgio, colours by John M. Burns, and letters by Steve Potter. It's a full house this time round, isn't it? Yes, a bit of a change to the creative team there with Giorgio and Burns now colouring it instead of Steve White. Rax leads the remaining champions to his future of 2345 AD, so they can steal weapons from the Cyberdome fighting arena that will help them rescue Shadow, Blade and Slash from Nakano. Unfortunately, they're caught in the act and forced to participate in the next round of combat in the Cyberdome. Meanwhile, Nakano subjects his captives to brain scans to learn their secrets, but Slash's primitive mind overloads the machine, enabling them to escape. Well, we have a rather sharp uh, improvement over the last issue, don't we? Splitting the party really worked in the strip's favour. It does, yeah. It's much more clear in the story what's happening. It's a little bit more abstract what we're looking at. Yeah, sometimes, yeah. Yeah, certainly on the first couple of pages, I never quite felt that I could see exactly where I was. So, like, when Rax says, load up, he's got a gun, but I don't really get a sense of where he got it from or where he wants anyone else to get them from. Well, you see that very first panel. Oh, yeah, that's right. On the first page. Oh, yeah. Oh, they're in front of a wall of weapons. Yeah, yeah. They've warped into the armory of the uh, the fighting dome where he used to fight. And he, cause the, I get, but again, this is that stuff where we don't we haven't actually been told this about the characters except in the news zone and in stuff and it'll all be spelled out in the special next week but um right now we're sort of is again relying on our knowledge of the characters picked up from other places which is that rex used to be a participant in cyber fighting in this uh, in this cyborg future world of 2345 well that's right and the fact that in the previous issue we had uh because you know me I, I never remember anything so i'd forgotten most of the details i remember that he does cyber fighting but if we've heard the phrase cyber dome before i'd forgotten it no no we just ended last issue where we were saying i know where we can get some big guns and he clicked their teleport stick and so when the resolution to that cliffhanger was uh, there i am going oh where do they go where have they sent themselves off to and it says the cyber dome and i was like oh Okay, okay where, oh, where's the that Cyberdome, then? yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I was a little bit trailing behind uh, this issue, but uh, for that, it still made itself much clearer than it did when we had to have all the characters in the same room together all the time. Yes, you notice how this one isn't fixated upon giving everyone a line or something to do. Yeah. To be fair, I think the only people who don't get a line are Midnight and Larson, but the simple act of splitting the party where the six go to the future and get the guns, and then uh, I was actually surprised that we spent three of the five pages with Shadowblade and uh, and Slash in the present. Yeah, stuck and not to a the, wall, uh, yeah. 
not the future characters, where Slash's mind overloads it. Is that what it is? I wasn't sure if it was his mind or if he just physically wrenched his way through it or something. Well, well uh, it's like um, his mind scan is hazy, showing fire, so Nakano demands they turn the machine to maximum, and he says, no, no, it's too much, it's overloading, and then it explodes around Slash. Yeah, it looks like Slash could be tearing his way out of it at the same time, but then, yeah. like, Blade jokes that they haven't built the machine that could find Slash's brain, and Slash is like, no, I was fighting the machine, and I knew we had to keep our secrets, so, like, it was because Slash was really fighting it that they cranked it up that it then overloaded yeah but then you get that full-on we've compared it before that 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 claremont x-man bit where blade is like oh sure you were a regular intellectual and then slash grabs him shut mouth or me get primitive with you yes i thought blade was talking some smack about slash's brains for someone whose innermost thoughts have just been revealed to be a picture of his own face well, well, as we'll see in the special next week, there is not a lot of material to work with when you're attempting to characterize Jonathan Blade. Because the two bad guys are standing over this console that's showing what the machine is scanning from their brains, and, and sure enough, Slash's screen is of fire, but Blade's is just Blade looking all growly. Yeah. <sighs> By the way, I haven't found any other artwork of Blade, be it the sprites from the games or like artwork to the that give him those big triangular-shaped shades. They're just shades everywhere else. That might be an STC invention. I did laugh when I opened page two at Rax's ridiculous-sized gun. It's like the ship at the start of Spaceballs. It just goes all the way across the page and off the page, and you never quite see the end of it. I've seen bigger. (laughs) When Abby was flicking through this, after I was reading it and I'd got it out, I I I was trying to think of a way to address this, that I wouldn't have to censor, and uh, and Abby Abby worded it the way I'm going to say it. She said, oh, "Okay, that bikini bottom doesn't do much to cover her bikini bottom, does it?" <laughs> um, I hadn't noticed, but oh, okay, yeah. good. Oh well, yeah, uh... yeah, she's because <laughs> uh... we zoned straight in on it, and that is not put it this way. You couldn't put that on live action TV. No, Shadow has bikini waxed before coming out on this mission. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's zonked right over to one side. She's the, the main thing on her mind is wanting to readjust that, I think, when she gets her arms free. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've now said everything that I noted down. I quite liked the collection of cyberball players at the end who are there with their various bits of face turned metal and their various spiky teeth and guns and things. It was all a bit 2000 AD, Warhammer 40,000 looking, wasn't it? Yeah, they have that kind of look, don't they? Yeah. Nope, just generally speaking, a solid improvement, uh, breaking the team up into two groups and not feeling the need to necessarily give everybody an equal share of the panel time has uh, done a lot to rapidly improve the problems we thought it was facing last issue. Yeah, looking forward to some more of this. News so first off in the news zone, we have Virgin gets inter-active, and they're just going to tell us what Virgin games are going to make over the next year. I think they've had a press release, Chris. Yes, yeah, a queer list, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, there's all sorts of stuff going on. What have we got? We've got uh, Caesar's Palace for the Game Gear, don't care, looked it up though. A gambling game. It is, it Weirdly, is a gambling yeah. game. You play a little man who wanders around in a casino and is turned away from certain areas because he isn't rich enough yet, and then you, you sit down and you play some casino-type game. You've got a boring thing to have. Just yeah. play Popills, Game Gear owners, don't worry about <laughs> any of that. Mega CD owners are going to get conversions of Heart of the Alien, which I haven't heard of, even though apparently mm-hmm. it's a Mega Drive bestseller, Another World 2, and uh, Terminator. Interestingly, it says here, Terminator, as in the first film appearance of Arnie's Cyborg, features the same blend of platforms and blasting as seen on the Mega Drive, only with notably bigger characters running around, and the use of Sega's Q-Sound system. Well, I Q-Sound. was skeptical. Q-Sound. Q-Sound. <laughs> 
<laughs> I, uh, I was skeptical, so I looked it up, and uh, yes, they do seem to have just, for some reason, made the sprites bigger on the Mega CD version. Didn't you sometimes hear that spoken of as, as a positive just in games? Talking about <laughs> yeah. huge sprites and big action and stuff yeah. like that, and it just meant that the, the characters were big. Uh, which often was a problem. I remember I had a... I actually, I had a... I think it was a demo on the Spectrum, where the sprite literally filled most of the screen and it was really tricky to play <laughs> that's too big i hadn't heard of this next one before uh -huh. uh, battle maniacs for the master ah, system which yes. is a version of battle toads for uh well and to give it its full title battle toads in battle maniacs is, is what it eventually turns out to be so i see from google here Ex well that's how i found out yes i didn't know already i think it's just what happened when they released battle toads on something other than the nes perhaps i guess yeah, because it specifically says they were a smash hit in their own right when they first appeared in America over three years ago. Then we have uh, take part in the in the action of the hit movie Demolition Man this summer. Currently approaching completion on the Mega Drive and Mega CD is Demolition Man, the game. Virgin have chosen to adopt two different game styles for which the movie's two stars, Sylvester Stallone and Wesley Snipes, agreed to be filmed and digitised in action. But it doesn't mm. tell us what the two game styles are. I know it does. The Mega CD version version is a first-person shooter, while the gameplay is more platform-intensive on the Mega Drive. Those are the game styles. It's a first-person shooter on the Mega CD and a platformer on the Mega Drive. Yep, and were that true, that would be quite interesting, but it isn't. Oh, um, but it's not? Yes. <laughs> no, as far as, as far as I can tell, instead, both versions of the game are actually the same, but they do have two play styles. One, uh, some of it... I don't know if it's like one character versus the other character, because I think you can select the two, um, but some of it is um like well what i would call robocop style uh walkie brawly shooty sure. and uh the rest of it is is what i would call alien breed style uh looky downy walkie explorey shooty <laughs> <laughs> uh, but i think the levels alternate uh, like that I d and then yeah the mega cd version okay. i didn't see any first person stuff i just saw the same game but with clips from the film so perhaps i they, was gonna uh, ask is it clips when mm. they talk about the two of them being digitized did it mean clips or or did it mean they they did something for the game yeah no there's nothing motion capture looking in the game at all no surprise really they, uh, sometimes the news zone is so vague as to not tell you anything at all isn't i know it? well nothing will ever beat that weird boxing game summary from <laughs> the very start remember that one yeah where it was muhammad like, ali was there muhammad ali Wait, was he? Fought I someone don't know. we still don't know if he was there or not <laughs> um the next one virgin's long-awaited mega Dr and here again i'm going to do some translation of what they actually mean um, Virgin's long-awaited Mega Drive version of Disney's animated classic Jungle Book is now due for release in July. Mowgli's perilous journey through ten levels of jungle has been in development for over a year, but now yeah. the team responsible for the Master System and Game Gear versions have taken over from Virgin in the USA. Strange. You, you, um, um, what does that mean exactly? Well, no, so they're saying the Master System and Game Gear versions came out already? I, I don't know, maybe... Maybe. Didn't we see adverts for the Jungle Book game on the back of some issues in the mid-teens? I, I, my memory of that being on the back of STC is so strong that I can't tell you if they're in issues we've covered yet or if it's Oh, still they are. Come. No, they are. Definitely. Uh, well, there we go. That, that'll be it then. Weird that the Master System and Game Gear would come out first. Well, here's what happened. Dave Perry and his team, those are the people who made Aladdin, Global Gladiators, Cool Spot. They were making the game for the Mega Drive mm -hmm. over at Virgin. 
Until he pulled a Don Bluth oh. and he upped sticks and he took his team with him and they all left Virgin to form Shiny and make Earthworm Jim. Oh. So they've gone. Virgin are floundering around trying to find someone else to make it and I guess they pull in the, the team. And then by all accounts they made a fairly decent game. It's uh, generally held up as the the third in the Sega Disney trilogy. The one that the least people ever played. Yeah, I always remember it having a good reception. And then football... No, I mean, the first thing here is they, they're making a video game about the Hurricanes. I don't know. <laughs> do you remember the Hurricanes, Dave? As a cartoon yeah, from the, the 90s. Yeah, Hurricanes. Storm times coming to you today. Yeah. That's it. It was a it was a cartoon about a sports team having dumb superhero-y type adventure. Not superhero-y, but you know, dumb adventures. It wasn't it so wasn't really a cartoon about them playing football. You know, soccer that is to say. Yeah. So I was a little surprised, though probably shouldn't have been, to read this to find that it, it sounds like it was a platformer and not actually a sports football game. It, I looked it up, and this game, like the cartoon, looks like utter bobbins. I was going to um, say, it was a load of rubbish. <laughs> that was actually what I was about to say. It was a subpar-looking standard platformer, but your guy has a football glued to the toe of his boot all the time. And you can basically kick it at enemies, but not in a soccer kid or Marco's Magic Football way. More of a... You more like just shooting a gun, but with a football, you know. Didn't look great. That's <laughs> <laughs> all I got. <laughs> and then my little fella, my little leggy chum. We yes, got no, I dizzy. knew you would be all about this. So I'll hey, hand this one there. over to you entirely. So one day I was in my beloved children's world. Mm. Do you know about children's world? I know children's world. You have those world. in Ireland. I don't know if we had them, but I know them anyway. <laughs> There's pushchairs, prams, and little potties. Wipes and nappies for babies' bodies. Cuddly toys, all soft and chunky. Perfect for your little monkey. Slides and swings for active tots. Or play and learn for little swaps. Jeans and dresses, shoes and slippers. Fashion for those trendy nippers. Beds for dreams, drawers for socks. Watch a video on the box. Toilets, haircuts, drinks and meals from a baby buggy to a set of wheels. You can get in all that. Imagine the most wonderful toy shop in the world. Forget about Toys R Us. Take a Toys R Us, <laughs> shove that into one corner, right? But add... <laughs> I thought you were going to say shove that somewhere else entirely. <laughs> <laughs> that was one area where you had your board games and your, and your computer games and your playable, you know, games consoles. Also, you had a video corner. You had a... There was a shoe shop. There was a hair cuttery. You could do... There was a shop that would sell you donuts and gingerbread men. There God. was a, a baby's area. And in the middle, where your mum would browse the children's clothes, you could sit in some soft play stuff and watch He-Man on the TV. It was fantastic. And the way in was a helter-skelter. Absolutely incredible. I've definitely never been to one of those. I just oh, know the name, I so, guess. So, so, so good. While I was there one day browsing the, uh, the computer, and video games section, I saw for the Game Gear a dizzy cartridge. <laughs> now, Dizzy, as I've previously established, was firmly of the, you know, Spectrum Amstrad C64 sort of gaming world. He was the he was there, Sonic and Mario. He was a it was a fairly big name in those circles. 
And here is the point at which the Codemasters and the Oliver Twins are clumsily attempting to move into the, the console world. Um, it says here, Codemasters Eggy star Dizzy is limbering up for his next release this Easter, appropriately enough. The excellent Dizzy collection is not one, not two, but three complete and completely different games on one cartridge for the Mega Drive, Master System and Game Gear. Well, we're, we're already wrong. We're gonna, that's not true. It didn't come out on the Mega Drive okay. as far as I can ascertain, but it was out on the Game Gear. Don't even know if it was ever out on the Master System. Dizzy the Adventurer is an arcade adventure, while Go Dizzy Go sees Dizzy and his girlfriend Daisy pushing and shoving their way around five worlds of arcade action, and Panic Dizzy is comprised of three types of puzzle action. Excellent. Now, as a Dizzy fan, it's a very weird cartridge, because the games on it, Dizzy the Adventurer was actually Dizzy Prince of the Yoke Folk, a game that was already long established on the Spectrum and other, other platforms, just given a different name for some reason, and with the music from Magicland Dizzy on the Spectrum plunked on it, but slightly wrong. Don't know why they bothered with that. Go Dizzy Go was a previously existing game called Quick Snacks, but with a new name. Don't know why they bothered. And a game called Dizzy Panic has been out on the computers for years, and it's a puzzle game. But it's not this one. It's not this puzzle game, which is called Panic Dizzy. So they, I've never understood why they bothered with this. They just released games, gave them different names for arbitrary reasons. And it's not as if, you know, that would those new names would make the game sell anymore or anything. I don't know why they did it. But had they been released on Sega systems before? No, never. This is the first time. Well, I mean, there you go then. Just give them different names to distinguish them. Why not just call them Magicland Dizzy, Quick Snacks, and... That's a... Well, the Dizzy Panic thing. Quick Snacks! Yeah, because it's a snacks-based game. It's a... Quick Snacks is not a good game! I... Uh, name! It's not a good name. I can't speak <laughs> to its quality as a game, I beg your pardon. Well, that's fine, that's fine, that's fine. It wasn't one of the you best You were about to go the off there. Sorry, when I, I insulted a Dizzy. <laughs> It isn't one of the best ones. It's quite good. Yeah, but it was about collecting snacks. It was about food. But yeah, I see. I get it. I get it. Go Dizzy Go, yeah. I mean, I don't quite get uh, panic exclamation mark Dizzy. That sounds yeah. like they, they roughly translated to Japanese. Doesn't game. it? Oh, well, maybe that's why they did it. Because that's console <laughs> gaming all over, isn't it? In it, though. Go Dizzy Go! Go! Dizzy Go! Is to <laughs> dizzy! Pronounce it. Dizzy! Dizzy! Dizzy Go Dizzy! Dizzy? Two newer Codemasters characters are set to make their first appearances on the Mega Drive. First up in June is Kevin Codner in Sink or Swim. I had to go and look up to see if this even came out because it's so dreadful. I know. I had to just maybe assume the universe had swallowed it. But no, yeah, that was a name. Yeah. Obviously, I, I, had Waterworld happened by this point? Uh, no, I don't think it had. Because it's, you know, it's a boat and mariner themed game and the character's name is Kevin Codner. You know, it's from the same cultural landscape that brought you James Pond yes. Robocod. Yeah. No, and in fact, when I read it, I assumed it was a never published, you know, James Pond sequel. Yeah. Um, but no, it's just a bloke. Genuinely my first thought upon reading it, yeah, but it, it happened. It, it did come out. It is just a bloke. And had it come out post-Waterworld, it would have been exactly the sort of parody title that... Dude, it's not even a fish! It's not even a fish. It's it's so strange. Uh, so that came out. Actually, it looks a lot like those um, Mario v Donkey Kong games that came out on uh, handhelds a few years later where you've got little clockwork Marios wandering about and you sort of organise the landscape and throw switches and stuff to make them do stuff it, it really seems to be exactly the same kind of gameplay, little clockwork fellas and all 
And then making his debut this autumn is Smartvark, a TV repair aardvark who tackles adversaries mark. From, from television programs and films such as Mad Scientists and Vampires. A two-player option provides a novel twist. Well, does it? So uh, I looked up what the two-player option was and... Don't know, because not even the game came out. Oh, it never came out? No. Oh, okay. Uh, however, what I can tell you is that the Aardvark, the titular Smart Vark, does look quite exactly like later CBBC presenter Otis the Aardvark, oh. a puppet operated by Dave Chapman, who uh, went on to be in Dick and Dom in the Bungalow as a very, very funny man, and now uh, we see him on our screens as BB-8. Really? Yeah. I did not know yep. that. BB-8 is Otis the Aardvark. Fact. Good God, it all comes back around. <laughs> and that's it? why BB-8 is so good, because he's because that is a seasoned kids puppeteer working there. Mm. Uh, then we got more football. More football. Soccer Mania Part 2. Non-stop football action on the cards. I wish it wasn't. World Cup USA 94, Kickoff 3, which they did get a whole paragraph to, because they at least give credit to the guy writing it. Yeah, to be fair. Whose name is Steve Screech. Steve Screech, <laughs> yeah. One half of the original kickoff team, the other half, Dino Dini, working on Virgin's goal Go! for the Mega Drive. Uh, World Soccer 94 and Sensible Soccer. I didn't even God. read this bit. I utterly no, couldn't I be bothered. And I know what it's about. It's about four I, indistinguishable, what? except for football. their graphics, football games. Some of them will be better than others. It doesn't matter. Whatever. Who cares? You were probably reserving your fury for this uh, next sentence. <laughs> Which one? Blue meanies. <laughs> it's just telling us that there's going to be a Smurfs game coming out, but it starts with this la 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 la. That, I'm sure you will have immediately noticed, yes. is a terrible phonetic rendering of the Smurfs theme song. It's so bad that I now can't remember the Smurfs theme. Oh, yes, I can. So the Smurfs theme song goes, la 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 la. But here it is written as, okay, so this is made up of la's and la la's, right? So L-A and L-A-L-A. And it is, here's what they write. La 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 la. Okay, good so far. No, 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 no. Just do the whole thing. Just sing the whole thing as if it was what it says is. Okay. A, two, three, and... La 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 No, it's gone. <laughs> it doesn't. It's, yeah. And, you know, I shouldn't get hung up on it, but don't do it if you're not going to do it right. Yeah. it's It wouldn't be difficult to do right with the tools you've given yourselves. I would go la 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 But they've gone la 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 Alright, turn it down a bit there, Dave. Turn it down. And then it says... Yes, it's the Smurfs. Brackets, what? You didn't recognize the tune? No, mate. I recognized your attempt at it. <laughs> so, wait, maybe they were doing the uh, Father Abraham one. How does that go? La, 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 la. They were! They actually, they did it right! They were doing the old single version, not the cartoon TV theme. I don't know that version. <laughs> Yeah, they got it right. Actually, oh, I take oh, it fair, back. Well, fair all right. Enough, I rescind my objections. I don't know what the <laughs> f that is you're doing, but okay. Well, exactly. I only know it because they happened to set up a train through Smurfs animatronic ride at a North Devon children's theme park Jesus that I happened Dave. to go to a few times. 
that single was way before our time. That was a 70s. That was like concurrent with the comics coming out. All right, all right, all right. Um, I, <laughs> I feel like I have to publicly apologize to whoever did this new zone. Hey, me too. So, uh, enough, especially sorry? since I did come armed with the information I should have needed. Yeah, and, and the, I guess they're the OG Smurf fans and we're just yeah. a bunch of archists. <laughs> a bunch of Smurf yeah, archists. Aren't we? I'm, we're a bunch of Hanna-Barberists. Or <laughs> Hanna-Barbarians, as they're known. <laughs> That's the one. That's the one. <laughs> hey, Smurfs fandom, keep that one in your pocket. But what they're talking about here, anyway, is that those blue, quote, adorables, a lot of Smurf hate already, um, are coming... I'm a Smurf fan, by the way. I I'm, I'm, love the old comics. Are coming to the Mega Drive, Master System, and Game Gear from none other than French publisher Infograms. Expect to see the platform action in July. I had that one. Oh, yeah? Yeah, a funny mix. I, I, I enjoyed it, but I would never say it was good. I know the sort of thing you mean. Yeah. What what it's noteworthy for, apart from the fact that it's rock hard, and you can, I challenge anyone to get past level two, is that it, actually it's a bit of a Bart versus the Space Mutants in that the first level is like a depiction of the town they live in, and then you know you get out into the wider world and you're immediately massacred by everything. <laughs> but um, something to look out for is the um, the music for the first level is so meandering and strange that I was sure it must be a direct adaptation of some backing music from the TV series or something, because it sounds so orchestral and non-gamey. And uh, no, it's just a strange games composer going off on their own. And then what else is in the short bursts? Um, more games from Sony for the Mega CD, Ground Zero, Texas, and ooh, is that an update of Flashback? Yeah. Um, there's a Hulk yeah. game coming to the Mega Drive from the people who worked on Judge Dredd. And Core Design are working on Skeleton Crew for the Mega Drive. Yeah, never heard of that. No, but there's a picture of it. So presumably it happened. (laughs) And there's an inset sprite not taken from a screenshot. So I guess they were sent that. And they They just thought, well, sent a press pack on that one. And that is what is in the news zone. 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 No, Chris. Compo. Okay, over the page we got another compo. We weren't forewarned about a compo. Should we have been forewarned? You have well, to be get ready to duck. <laughs> you know they normally tell us when there's going to be a compo. They do. They get excited, don't they? Yeah. We are offered the chance. And this is one you... It's a, it's a proper win a game compo. You can win yeah. Winter Olympics on the uh, on the Mega Drive. And that's the right sort of thing you want to win from an STC compo. Because they, if, they, if it was, say, you know, a, a holiday to watch a winter sport or do some skiing, I'd be right out. Absolutely yeah. not. Watching sport? Yeah. I, don't give me a hand gliding day out. Give me that crystal richard i'm one of those sorts of people (laughs) (laughs) and uh here we have the equivalent which is yeah we've got a winter olympics video game up for grabs yeah go on then why not and you simply have to answer the question where were the 1994 winter olympic games held i don't no idea and it doesn't say here it's not one of those ones where the clue is embedded in the question not a reading comprehension clue i mean obviously this is in march of 1994 so this would have been Mm -hmm. all over the tally in the news for the last couple of months so everybody at the time would have known but i have no memory but do you know what i'm gonna guess i'm gonna guess that the 1994 winter olympics were held in lillehammer why because i've just spotted it says it right there where (laughs) it's right in the middle of the cover to the game Oh, yeah. Ah. 
But where's Lillehammer? Because you have oh, to give the town no and country. It stipulates, please oh, give does town it? and country. Oh, well, that's an Ask Your Mum one now. I don't know. I don't know where Lillehammer is. Should we guess? Where, where, do you, where does that sound like it is? I don't think I want to risk it. I don't want no. to wind up looking stupid. I'll just sit here quietly. <laughs> I'm going to tentatively say Sweden, and then I'll edit it out if I'm wrong. <laughs> well, you could look up the answer. And, oh, wait! Uh, yeah. yeah, hang on. I'm just going to do it now. So I'll guess... I'll guess it was in... Ooh, Norway. <laughs> Did you just look it up? No, no, I swear I didn't. It um, is in Norway. You are correct. Oh, yes! Well done! <laughs> <laughs> and you had to be up there north somewhere like that. <laughs> right, well, so you can send well, your Well, my entry. entry just got pulled from Megadroid's ski suit. <laughs> so you can... Chris, you should write that down and send it in before the Friday the 15th of April 1994 oh, to STC slash Winter Olympics freebie 25 to 31 Tavistock Place, London WC 1H9SU Oh wait, one, 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 <laughs> one. <laughs> Old Ford Lock, London A32NN oh, Dave, you'll remember this actually Jeff and I were trying to puzzle this one out What was yep. the number before they added that changed it up and changed the rhythm? Going live on 081-811-8181 Okay, I don't remember that. Because because it was oh it one it one one eight one eight one So what did they change it to then? Okay, right. I thought there was. More. I thought there, I thought the number changed a bit more than that. Well, it added a one. I'm su- Yeah, I'm, I'm. I'm surprised that I remembered that it changed, and it was mm. something to do with the area code. But I couldn't remember, so they just yeah. added a one. It just went from 081 to 0181, as did all of our phone numbers. Stop! I just just thought it needed to stop. But I found out what Chris was thinking of, by the way. They did change it again to... Oh, one, H1, H1, one. H1, H1. Below the compo, we've got a half-page ad. Easy as ABC. This month's Best of 2000 AD Monthly re-presents the awesome debut of the top artist of the 90s, Simon Busley, on one of the most <laughs> thrilling comic stories of all time, the ABC Warriors. I love that delivery you just did there. Busley. And if we're going to be calling Sat AM ABC Sonic, maybe we should call Sat AM fans ABC Warriors. <laughs> I love it! <laughs> <laughs> Plus two free ABC Warriors scan cards. Scrotnig postcards featuring classic art for the ABC Warriors series on sale now from all good thrill merchants. Price £1.10. What was Scrotnig? I don't know. I used to read 2000 AD. No, that one doesn't ring a bell. Does it? Maybe is it just the word they used for free? I wonder if it was the smeg of 2000 AD. It meant packed with thrill power. Did it? Yep. In what way did it mean that? I've just looked it up on Wikipedia. That's just what it means. Some of the other catchphrases and jargon you would get from 2000 AD included blurk, which meant <laughs> bon appetit or enjoy your meal. <laughs> Borag Thung was welcome. That was how yes, Farg opened his that letters one, yeah. on the editorial page. Gaffle Betty, <laughs> out of this world. Poss- possibly Gaffle Bet, Grexnix, 
an idiot or an unzarjaz person. Ah, yes. I remember zarjaz. Because zarjaz meant fantastic. Yes, that I remember. Thrill power was excitement generated by reading 2018. And scrotnig was packed with thrill power. And a non-scrot was a person who did not read 2018. I was a non-scrot then. Same. This concludes our uh, (laughs) educational portion of the show. On the following page, we have a full page advert, and well, we might, because it says right at the top, it's way too big. And what we are seeing is the very bottom right hand corner of the poster that we're going to see in Sonic the Poster Mag issue 3. It's funny, yeah, the poster mag just came out the week before this, Mm. so now it's in this issue and it's advertising it as being on sale now. We didn't have any adverts for it to advertise its coming, except for a Megadroid in the control zone last issue. Right, well, don't buy that one, readers. (laughs) Oof! (laughs) If you've listened to the little bonus episode we did about it, you'll know why. Shinobi! Shinobi. One, two, three. The Art of War Part 3. No credits on the actual page, weirdly enough, but it is obviously still done by the regular team of writer Alan McKenzie, artist John Howard, and letterer Ellie DeVille. After knocking out a security guard, Musashi begins climbing down the building's elevator shaft to avoid detection. As he goes, he reflects on the story his sensei once told him about his own teacher, who earned a place at a kendo school by proving the importance of survival by any means over honour and technique. Unfortunately, Neo Z Ninja soon catch up to Masashi, descending into the shaft after him. Interesting that a, a recurrent theme of apparently this entire run of Shinobi, this second run, is about dirty fighting and how that's what we're going to be doing. That's the thing that jumped out at me yeah. in this chapter. I'm getting the fear now, honestly. Right. Because this is, first of all, well, first of all, the art of war isn't name-checked. We don't get our little footnote to tell us what the art of war is. And the lesson, again, is the same as in the first issue. Mm the importance of fighting and winning using whatever means are at your disposal instead of mindlessly adhering to a code of honor. And like last issue, it doesn't have a lot of relevance to the tactic Musashi himself is taking up this time around. Yeah, that's right. Because what he's actually doing is he goes, rather than take the stairs or the lift, I'll just dangle in the lift shaft. Yeah, because they're going to be monitored. uh, So that just leaves the lift shaft. That's where they'll be looking. the, The cable, yeah. Ninjas come in after him, and the narration talks about the ninjas like uh, how it is not their plan to confront Musashi face-to-face as Bushido dictates, so it's trying to draw that parallel again, but but like last issue in the idea of misdirection, the implication is there, but the line is not cleanly drawn again. The last two chapters have been the lesson that Musashi reflects upon is not one he implements, but one he falls victim to his opponent implementing. The line between them is not particularly drawn. And unfortunately, this issue, it's the same lesson that we learned in part one when he was implementing it himself. Yes. Oh, well, eh? I mean, whenever the thematic structure of the story is what I have to dig down into to start complaining about it, I guess it proves I have I hold Shinobi to a bit of a standard, that yeah. those are where my issues with Shinobi fall. Because otherwise, it's still a beautifully drawn strip Oh yeah, that is a very entertaining read, as always. Yep. But just falls down on its own themes. I can't believe the teacher at the best kendo school on Honshu would be savvy with the idea of, you know, admitting a student who openly flouted the rules of Bushido, though. 
we have a two-page flashback again this issue. The first page is Musashi demonstrating his technique, his sword technique for his teacher. And the teacher is like, Sensei, your technique is quite flawless, but let me tell you this story about my Sensei. And then the second page of the flashback is a flashback within a flashback, yeah. as the Sensei relates to the teacher, the story of his teacher, about how when a samurai barred his way, the, the teacher was but a poor peasant boy, and it was not permitted for him to learn kendo. Why do you come here carrying a weapon forbidden to your kind? I am here to learn Bushido, the way of the warrior. And the samurai takes offense at this polite response for some reason. <laughs> because he's um, poor. Arrogant because he's one of the poors. Yep, basically the poor dared to speak to him <laughs> after he demanded the poor spoke to him. Um, arrogant cur, you dare speak to a samurai like that? The samurai draws his sword and attacks him, but the sensei sensei simply stamps on his foot and beans him upside the head and, uh, <laughs> and uh, takes him out that way. And then the... Uh, Kendo school teacher comes out, wants to know what's going on. Sensei explained what happened honestly, and the teacher was like, I like the cut of your jib, lad. Morning. <laughs> well, I think it's that, you know, oh, well, you've defeated my guards, so you're obviously good at this. Uh, that's how I read it. You know, I'm going to take you on because you've you've just ruthlessly destroyed my entire guards outfit. But, I mean, he does stress that the teacher knew that how you win is not important. Yeah. Technique is useless to you dead. Mm. And it's like, okay, but he has come to a school to learn the technique. <laughs> yeah, he's already he's obviously He's got the dirty fighting down already. He's come to learn the technique. Yeah. The present day section is quite um, sparse this time around. Well, the thing about having these flashbacks is that it makes the overall comic feel incredibly short each time, I think. Mm, mm. Part one is the best part of this serial yeah. so far because it used its real estate right. It set up everything that was going on, fed us the information we needed, then did a full flashback, and then had Musashi get from his hiding place to the building. And it did a one-page flashback, but last issue on this one, we've had two-page flashbacks, and that is a lot of real estate in a really five-page five strip. Especially then when half the first page, two-thirds even, is one large panel of... Uh, a lovely panel, though, I have to say. Oh, yeah. Of Musashi cleaving the barrel off the gun of the armed security guard who we saw catching up to him at the end of last issue's uh, chapter. I think uh, uh, the ideal version of this... Uh, what should we call this series? What should we call this particular Shinobi story? The Art of War. Well, all right. An ideal version of this run of this Art of War story of Shinobi would be something along the lines of the final episode has him using a number of different things that are from all the flashbacks and perhaps you see mm. a little inset face of someone from a memory each time he uses one. But that's not going to be able to happen because... Not now that they've taught us the same lesson twice. The same lesson twice, yeah. It's a strange one. I'm still interested in the story, the flashback oh, story. Oh, no question, yeah. It's still a fun strip to read, lovely to look at. Yep. Um Tense and exciting action, no yep. argument, and, and and the structure of it is entertaining because it, it could be quite a claustrophobic concept of once again mm. man in building and unfortunately yeah, man going down through building is is the plot again as with yeah. the first thing but these flashbacks provide us something visually different to look at a different environment just a whole different tone to the story so it makes it an entertaining read but i think we set our expectations a little high based off that first I think strip, so. and i kind of blame myself for that but we'll see how it goes there we could could turn around yet You've played the game. You've worn the t-shirt. You've got the video, so what's left? Uh, the comic? <laughs> oh, yeah. Hang on a minute, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was in fact 
the second video with Attitude. A second volume of The Adventures of Sonic the Hedgehog has been brought out on VHS. Yes, and they're trying to do the alliterative thing here, but they kind of stumble. It's the second video brimming with putrid plots, vile villains, heroic... Heroes. Heroes. Hmm. <laughs> Energy, excitement, danger, and most of all, action. Faster than the speed of light. That's what's left. So shape up and make sure you manage to catch the hottest hedgehog in the galaxy, because he ain't gonna hang around waiting for you. Present this voucher at WH Smith's and get a pound off. One pound off. A pound coin! <laughs> yeah, now mind you, you can't simply use it. Just cutting that thing out, you have to give it over for one pound off the video, because it only has a cash value of 0.001p, which is... 0.001p more than I feel as if it actually has. I don't know why they, why they bothered with that. I think that's just some legal stipulation I have to put it on there. It must be, wasn't it? Yeah. I feel like they must have changed that one. That was valid until the 31st of May. And, well, uh, May is encroaching, so hurry up and get your video. Uh, a, two months, March, April. No, you've basically got three months to spend that voucher. That's not yeah. too bad. Well, it's only 9.99 even if you don't, but you can get away with having it for 8.99 and look up there in the corner as seen on the big breakfast. Friend of the show, Chris Evans and the yeah. big breakfast. <laughs> We've got tips for Thunderhawk, Sonic CD, Lemmings on the Mega Drive, F1 on the Mega Drive, Aladdin on the Mega Drive. That's the cheat you were talking about last issue, isn't Abba, it? Abba, Abba, yeah. Abba, we used to get levels. <laughs> The Flintstones and Zool. Um, the first one is Thunderhawk, and it says uh, Thunderhawk is the best game to see the light of day on Sega's CD system, and it's proving immensely popular. The game includes superb animation, and if you're not careful, it can be very addictive. Here's a useful cheat to know. Colon Dash. Now, I remember <laughs> sitting down with my granddad and him teaching me how to do punctuation correctly on a short story <laughs> that I was trying to write on a typewriter. And he said, ah, about there, because I, I, I think I was asking him, is this a comma or a full stop that I should put here? And he says, well, here's what I would do about there. And he did a colon, and then he did a dash. And I took that so to heart that I, I, would, I would use it all the time. I would misuse it all the time. It was my go-to punctuation, colon, dash the way amateur writers misuse the semicolon right i was in there all the time i was gonna say it sounds like the sort of face a semicolon might go not knowing what the sentence was but but here it is here is the colon dash and it makes me feel that maybe a previous generation of copy editors were taught the colon dash because there it is and of course seeing this in the comic it would have only doubled me down yeah i would have just used it more i mean you would just put a colon there you can just put a colon. that's what we would do now we'd just put a colon there i don't know what the dash is for at all because you know i'm just noticing he's done it on every single one of them <laughs> really with that oh yeah there except for go. aladdin but he has yeah look at that the lemmings cheat uh, tells us to do 20 rotations of the joypad in a clockwise direction. Sounds like quite a bit. A lot of work. Yeah. When the Sega logo appears, hold down both buttons and rotate the joypad in a clockwise direction. I hear that sentence, to be honest. I think you're talking about turning the... <laughs> you just the turn the whole joypad, joypad around, yeah. It means the D-pad. Yeah. F1, the best racing game ever to reach these shores. Um, There's just some actually quite good tips here you know previously we've made fun of them yeah. of saying you know try turning the games console on and try using the buttons to move them <laughs> yeah these ones are not necessarily ones that would have just been how to play the game included in the instruction manual yeah there's some actually good tips here about like when to use your brakes and when you know which wheels to have and stuff like that so yeah fair play there 
Always select the novice level. <laughs> oh, oh, could you imagine a games magazine giving that sort of advice today? Know, the internet would crack in half. Although it does go on to say, until you become more experienced. So it's suggesting we practice. No, never play it on easy. That's the child's <laughs> way of playing. Games aren't for children, Dave. Don't you understand? <laughs> Very serious toys for adults. <laughs> Tales. Tales. The Land Beyond, Part 4. Written by Nigel Kitching, art by Dave Windet, colours by John Burns and letters by Elita Ferrick. With Tails and Errol at his mercy, Trog explains that he was, indeed, originally Shirob, the third Enchanter King, but was transformed into his current state when he made mystical contact with the dark spirit, the Evil One. The supposed rescue mission has just been a way to lure Tails to the Land Beyond, so Trog can claim revenge for his past defeat. A furious Tails attacks Trog, but he's no match for the villain. Fortunately, at that moment, the Enchanter King's magic portal suddenly opens in the room, blinding Trog and his minions with its light. Errol and Tails escape through the portal back to the Nameless Zone, and Errol, impressed by Tails' bravery, decides that Tails is a worthy champion after all, and agrees to keep his secret. I'm of two minds about this one. Because there's interesting lore stuff. Uh -huh. oh, I would have loved to have known more about the evil one, yeah. who would never be mentioned again, who is just like an evil green horned tail's head, because yep. obviously all these these dudes just have tail's heads in these Dave Winded strips. Yes, I was sort of expecting it to be an evil horned trog-looking guy, and that's why it turned mm. him into a trog. But no, it's just an evil tails. It's a good showing for tails too, because he's genuinely mad about the fact that trog has just pulled this whole stunt for revenge, and he goes for it like yeah. Yeah. Aired teeth and everything, he's mad, he goes in for it, but we know from before, like, that he's no match for Trog, so he just smacks him out of the air. But then it just, like, oops, out, out of pages. They just go home, do they? And then the, the portal opens, and they, they're like, oh, here we go, off we go. Yeah. And then we have to get the quick explanation from the Enchanter Kings after the fact that their incarnation can only keep Tails in the Nameless Zone for a limited period of time. That's the justification. Yes, that is what they say. I'm fairly sure what they meant to say is that it's part of the incantation, surely. Like, incarnation. Oh, uh... What did I, did I say incantation? But it does say incarnation. It says inca It says it's part of the incarnation. That's not Oops right. Oops-a-doodle. Yeah. <laughs> Whoops. But yeah, the, the portal opens, takes them back to the Enchanter King's Sanctum, which I guess it's... They just have to go back there as a sort of ground zero for this bridge to then take Tails back to Mobius. And it's, yeah, it's just like a little, um, it's not a deus ex machina because the premise already exists within the stories of the mm, portal, yeah. but, um... It's just a bit of a coinkydink, isn't it? That it happens at exactly the right time. Yeah, it's just a big bit of coincidental timing about something we never heard about already, the idea that the spell was time-sensitive. I mean, when you get down to it, it means the whole story amounted to nothing. Presumably, Errol does tell the Enchanter Kings properly the whole deal with Shirob and Trog. Mm -hmm. After the fact, or after the story's over, he just says, as for Shirob, believe me, you don't want him back. <laughs> yes. yeah, I mean, it's, it's fine, but... There's not been an all like like the Shirob Trog twist was the good bit of this yeah. of this four part story. We agreed on that. Last yep. issue was the best chapter of this serial, but then there's not a lot to follow up the it's no. really Trog with. You know, the the Dark One stuff is kind of interesting, but it's never mentioned again. Well, yeah, here we are now in a version of Sonic the Comic where out there somewhere is an evil demon Tails. Yeah. And it's never used again as far as I know. Is it in, the, is it in a future Tails strip at all? No. There's only one or two more visits to the Nameless Zone. This is the last Tails strip Kitching will write um, for quite a long time. Mark Isles will take over for a while and start putting Tails in big.
bigger, stupider, dumber, worse situations. <laughs> Fair enough. I look forward to seeing them. No, you don't. <laughs> Dara Walsh from Cork has seen the cartoon, likes Sonic's voice, thinks Tails sounds too much like a little boy. I, I did Megadroids. Yeah, not everyone can have a rich, deep voice like mine, Dara. <laughs> But this, uh, he does confirm something that you brought up as something that you mm. felt intuitively, which is that this, the STC, it says here, in the TV series, Tails is supposed to be very young, whereas in STC, he is a little older. There we go, confirmed, straight from the robot's mouth. Yeah, that was just the uh, the American take on Tails, was that he was a, a little boy. Mm. And uh, he was, a, like, like Dara says, he was a little boy, whereas, well, again, it comes back to the fact that in STC, Sonic characters didn't really have ages. Mm. They existed within metaphors for periods of age. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Francis Bentley wants to know why Dr. Ivo Robotnik turns the animals into evil robots. Because he's extremely villainous, says Megadroid. It's like, wow, we are hurting for space that much? I know, exactly. What about all those hundreds of letters you were supposed to get? Yeah. Sandeep Mafaru from Langley in Berkshire wants to know, are you going to have a page where readers can sell or exchange their stuff? I was also wondering why the Mega Drive and CD2 look different to how I've seen them advertised. Yes. Mega Drive's like, oh, you don't mince your questions. I'm not sure what kind of stuff you're talking about. Oh, well, games and stuff. I yes, like you know, stuff like Sega stuff. Because, got to make that comparison I always make again, the British Transformers comic had a, a little section on the letters page where readers could pen pal style contact each other and swap toys. Oh, there you are then. That, this is probably a Transformers reader then. I don't know that. I'm sure other comics must have done it too. I can't, I don't know what would have done it, but but yeah, so that's what they're referring to. And then uh, Megadroid goes on to say, secondly, Mega Drives and Mega CDs differ slightly depending on where they're sold in the world. You may have seen a foreign model advertised. And yes, I'm not sure quite what Sandeep's talking about there, and uh, I, I wish I did know. Uh, well, I mean, Sandeep, get in touch. STCTpodcast yeah. at gmail.com if you, if you <laughs> got an answer to your question or what you were talking about. <laughs> Nosy MacArthur. Robert MacArthur of Summerston, Glasgow asks, Dear STC, I have some questions. One, how did Sonic and Tails meet? And two, how do you know what's the highest and the lowest in the charts? Those good questions, I suppose. You'll note that Robert MacArthur has done the colon dash. <laughs> Yeah. Or the editor has. One or, <laughs> or, the, other, or yeah. the editor has. Yeah, one of the two. So Megadroid replies, One, may I remind you, Robert, of an old Hume proverb which goes, Patience is a virtue. All will be revealed in time. Now, I remember, I now know that they do later cover that. Yes. But at the time, I was well annoyed by that. Because yeah. I was like, listen, I've been patient. It's 1994 it's now. It's been 20 issues. <laughs> I've already had to write my own fanfic version of this story. Will you get on with it and tell me how Sonic and Tails met, please? And uh, secondly, the charts are based on... Uh, here's another one of those grown-up answers yes. where they actually answer, honestly. The charts are based on sales of Sega video games as monitored by Gallup, who also produced the music top 20 each week, and Elspeth, who are someone else. Yeah. The English Language Society for the Protection of Anglophones. <laughs> Very good. Cut that out. That's nonsense. No, that's very good. <laughs> Richard Russell of Drylington. Oh, Drylington. I've heard of that. Sonic Water Fun game winner says, There is a blue hedgehog called Sonic who decided to start up a comic. It's got tips and reviews, plus a lot of good news and a variety of free gifts upon it. <laughs> and Megadroid replies, There was a poetical Hume who decided that there should be room for an ode to the best, so he wrote one in jest, and now he is famous. 
boom boom <laughs> and uh for the artists out there that is a way of saying you've just done a joke in yes. england and presumably ireland true yeah, well i know it from television so I, yes <laughs> yes <laughs> um yep that's all, nothing yeah it's it's a it's a weird crop of letters on the speed lines today mm. but um pictures are nice yes danielle northy who has not supplied her full address and therefore can't win anything until writing it in uh, from plymouth in devon has just copied, but copied well, I think. Very well, yes. Yeah, this is someone who's going to grow up to be an artist of some sort. Um, I think you're probably right. Right in, Danielle. If you did, please. And what she's done is she's copied, very skillfully, the drawing from those screenshots of the proto ABC Sonic, the one where Princess Sally or Princess Acorn is holding up a fish for Sonic to kiss, and has written in the A Hero's Reward and everything. As seen in Poster Mag. As seen in Sonic the Poster Mag, number one, yes. Uh, while Crispin Wilson from Winchester has uh, drawn a picture of Tails and Sonic playing on a Mega Drive. Yeah. Tails has f***ed up and lost the game. <laughs> what an idiot. <laughs> and uh, going, oh no, and then Sonic says... Better luck next time, Tails. Now let the expert take over. Yeah. Um, although I misinterpreted this comic when I first saw it, because you're right that T Tails is looking at us and doing a little smile as he goes, oh no, having his game over that's it's flashed up on the screen, game over, and Sonic says, better luck next time. But I read it the other way around. I, because the uh, the first speech balloon, despite being on the right correctly, I, it's higher up, so I read, better luck next time, Tails. Now let the expert take over. And then Tails sort of grins at us and goes, oh no. And I read that as a prototypical Alex Norris oh no comic you know <laughs> <laughs> oh no oh that's one to draw in it, your little tails blob going oh no yeah so i sent it to him <laughs> well that's speedlines and if you would like your letter to be featured on speedlines then send it and you can send it in whatever form you like you can send it in oh i've just thought we do chris oh we do what have we got We've got a physical letter. We got a physical what? On the back of it, there's a lovely little ring drawn on. And if you can see that, Chris, uh. we open it. Oh, it's fancy paper. It's like treasure map paper. This it's thick. It's yellowish. Ooh, with it's this letter, you are really textured. spoiling us. Okay, we open it up. Dear Dave and Chris and Abby, my name is Catherine, and I am thirty-five and a third years old. <laughs> <laughs> Love it already. I have two cats and a husband called Guy who knows a lot about Sonic the Hedgehog. And, uh, we've, <laughs> and we've met Guy. I quite liked Sonic the Hedgehog games when I was small, but I only ever got to play them when I went round to other friends' houses because my mum didn't like his attitude. <laughs> <laughs> and also, video games are apparently of the devil, according to my dad. Anyway, I never got to write into the magazines or anything like that, so I'm doing it now. Well, quite right, quite and right if any too. listeners at home want to be able to say the same thing, we are here for you. I enjoy listening to your podcast, and I like when Dave says a rude word, and when Chris does all the voices. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I forgot, I also have a tarantula, named Hakuho, and in brackets, there's a drawing of a tarantula. Yay! I think Hakuho and Sonic should be friends. I will write to Sega and let them know. They can't have had many original Sonic character ideas from people over the years. <laughs> <laughs> I have also done a fan art of Sonic from memory. Keep up the radical podcast, Catherine London. And uh, she has drawn a picture of Sonic there. There he is. Doing a little cross patch face. Ah. And he's got his little hands on his hips. I have a bad attitude, he says. <laughs> that's right. And that's from Catherine, who has immaculate handwriting. Look yeah, at that. look at that. No lines on that paper or anything, and totally straight. 
And if you would like Catherine to write rude words for you in full-on proper calligraphy, <laughs> she'll do it for money. But she does all sorts of other things as well, so go and look her up. She is at Wangleberry, and I will ask her if I'm allowed to tell them that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much for your letter and all your lovely compliments, Catherine. We'll just set up a P.O. box so other people could send their letters into. <laughs> Wouldn't that be fantastic? Maybe we should. Maybe we actually should. P.O. If- boxes cost money. Uh, oh, well, then perhaps we shouldn't. If anyone actually <laughs> wants to send us anything physical, then tell us that, and uh, we'll see what we can do in that individual case. What a lovely note to end on. Isn't it? And if oh. you would like to end us on a lovely note, then uh, our usual mailbag, as we've mentioned, is stctpodcast at gmail.com. And you can send things in the form of written emails or recorded voicemails. We've had those before. Just do it. Just send them to us. Uh, Once again, sadly, after its brief return last issue, the next issue thing is missing from the inside back cover. The the sponsorship coupon has returned again. (laughs) He really gets annoyed by this. I hate it. I hate everything about it. But I love the fact that the entire back cover is now the ad for next issue. This is where it belongs. None of your middle pages of the comic, none of your tagged into the control zone stuff. This is the Mm -hmm. business. And it suggests that no one had paid for the full page back cover ad this time. Also that. (laughs) Next issue, more free gifts. Make your mark with the STC TTC Titanic Tattoo Collection. And uh, you can tell this is early in STC's life because that is a missed opportunity to do an asterisk and a footnote. And they would (laughs) not pass one of those up as time would go on. Believe it, Boomers, a serious collection of STC-inspired tattoos that will mark you out from the crowd. The best thing is they're temporary and safe. (laughs) Yeah, that cool uh, i guess that makes them <laughs> yeah, sound really exciting that's the radical you know yeah <laughs> safety is the coolest thing of all kids <laughs> wash <Sonic> says <laughs> wash them off stick on a new one it's the coolest gift in town there is a picture of them here yeah. but we'll talk about them next time we I think. will let's not give the game away no <laughs> plus a new story wonder boy in ghost world Whoa. where the only dangerous dinosaur is a dead dinosaur. That is annoying, isn't it, actually? Yeah, you're in Jurassic Park, you're facing up some dinosaurs, they die, hooray! Oh, wait, we're in Ghost World. Now they're here as ghosts as well. It's a weird one, that one, because we did have the tag talking about he was heading off to Ghost World at the end of the last Wonder Boy, which is... A while ago. 12 issues ago or something. But... You can't say you expected it to be ghost dinosaurs. No. no. It's two things. (laughs) In fact, I think I would be slightly disappointed that it's ghost dinosaurs rather than woo ghosts, you know? But of course, everything has to be dinosaurs. It's only been six months since Jurassic Park came out. It's dinosaurs is all we're talking about. And and it won't even be out on video yet, so the hype train is still struggling along. Struggling. It's struggling along. It's struggling. Wonder Boy struggles pretty hard. (laughs) And all new action with Sonic Shinobi and the Eternal Champions. Sonic the Comic, issue 22, on sale Saturday the 19th of March at the price of £1.10. So you can join us in two weeks' time for that, but possibly, if I am able to do my editing fast enough, we have an Eternal Champions special, which hit the shelves seven days after this issue did. So, if I can manage to bung together the time to edit a bumper edition, special edition episode, then you'll hear that in seven days' time. And if not, then you'll hear it sometime soon. Then you'll hear it when he's done, folks. I know. Isn't that annoying? Give the poor man time. Give the poor man time. Or, 
ideally, if you don't like that kind of uncertainty and you'd like us to be able to really easily say, yes, we can edit everything on time, then a good way of doing that would be to wonder about funding us. And a good way to allow you to do that would be if we were to set up, let's say, a Patreon at, let's say, patreon.com forward slash stctp, which we haven't really got around to telling anyone about because we can't think of anything to do as tier rewards. And we're not going to do that now either. So there won't be any rewards just now. But if you're rich and kind, then you could help us out. And then maybe one day we can hire an editor. Uh, more on that as we think of anything to actually provide. <laughs> Big dreams, folks. Probably something to do with the novels. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah. I'm thinking fourth dimension, chapter at a time, you know. I mean, I went out and bought them all already, so, you know. Yes. <laughs> that's what we're doing. That's what we're doing. That's what we're doing. But anyway. Maybe, we, maybe we'll get past all these specials that have to come out every other seven days before we start reading about doing bonus episodes <laughs> exactly there's so much to do this year uh, is so busy for us this okay. is the year of stc maybe maybe, uh, yeah. in, maybe in 1995 we could start talking about bonus episodes with the books but Oof. there's a yeah. lot going on in 94 there is so you can do that if you don't like rewards. So if you want to keep up with everything that we have got going on this year, you can download the podcast from Apple Podcasts, where you can also leave us a review. Please do. does help. Algorithms, lists, rankings, etc. Um, and it's just nice to read them. We have had some very nice ones already and wouldn't say no to a few more. Or you can download the podcast directly online at stctp.wigglehe.com. And in fact, it appears there slightly sooner. So if you're around on a Friday morning, you can get it there. Also, you can follow us on Twitter at Sonic Podcast. That is the dedicated Twitter feed for this podcast, but you can find us there separately as well. I'm at Demon Tomato Dave. And I am at Chris McFeely. And you will find us also both on YouTube uh, under those names where we do our own things. And Dave also over on Twitch as well. That's right. And I have another podcast with Jahan Ranasing <gasps> called Serious Disney's. And it's where we talk about animation things and those weird Disney remakes they do insist on doing, but we talk about them seriously like they're proper things worth considering and also um, that that was the initial idea actually we've got extremely silly as the podcast has gone on <laughs> yeah. so that exists as we sit here we are on the cusp of the movie event of February <laughs> um, I still haven't got my tickets have you? no but I'm not on, worried about it selling out <laughs> <laughs> I am I'm going to book them tonight and we will do some kind of podcast about that with Jahan so keep an yes. eye out for that our opening theme tune was synchronized by Sonic the Comic The Band, who you can find at sonicthecomic.bandcamp.com, where you can purchase said theme tune. But we, and this, have been, and was, Sonic the Comic The Podcast. And are. And will. <laughs> and will be. And <laughs> see you next fortnight, boomers. Bye! <laughs> Bye! Rax leads the remaining champions to his... Why do you always go, eternal champions? I don't know, a champion is just something people say from the <laughs> north, isn't it? You know, oh, champion. Oh, champion. Champion, hey. So, Rax, Rax just... leads the remaining champions to his future of 2345 No, 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 no. AD. None of this can stay in. This so is racist against the north. from the Cyberdome. <laughs> <laughs> Rax... <The> Cyberdome. <laughs> <laughs>